Hey nieces and nephews, Brian Rodriguez here. Just wanted to give you a quick update, a sad update. While I was editing this podcast, we got news that the wonderful and talented Frederick Forrest passed away. Frederick Forrest, a favorite actor of Uncle Francis, he was in the conversation. He was in One from the Heart, and of course he was in the film we're talking about today, Apocalypse Now. Mike and I are recording this week, so we'll speak a little bit more about Frederick Forrest and his impact in the films of Francis Ford Coppola and beyond. But until then, just wanted to give a little quick shout out to Frederick Forrest. Rest in peace. Thank you for everything you've done. Well, I joined the Navy. Heard they had better food. Cook school. That did it. Oh, yeah, how's that? Oh, you don't want to hear about that. They lined us up in front of a hundred yards of prime rib. All of us, you know, lined up looking at it. Magnificent meat. Really. Beautifully marbled. Magnifique. Next thing, they're throwing the meat into these big cauldrons. All of it. Boiling it. I looked inside, man. It was turning gray. I couldn't fucking believe that one. That's when I applied for radio in school, but then they gave me the engine. Mac- Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network Studios. No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff. Is that every Nick Cage movie ever? Yup. From Fast Times to Massive Talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nicky Coppola built. Hey, what about over there? Where do those stairs go? Yeah, I, th- I don't know if I've done Kurtz. I guess I'll do Kurtz, but I guess I'm going to be doing these over and over again anyway, so... Uh, yeah. Uh, allow me... Uh, uh, man, I just don't know if I got... I don't know if I got it in me tonight to read poetry out loud. <laughs> this is the Uncle Francis's wine cellar, the cup-by-cup Francis Ford Coppola podcast, and this is a Cage Club Network production. Michael Kurtz. Um, <laughs> doing, it, doing it as myself tonight. Buonasera, have a seat, have a glass, and welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and today we're talking Apocalypse Now Redux, our part three, and who better than the king of part threes than, than Michael? We can't start the podcast without Michael, right? Where's Michael? Hey, I was taking photos in the jungle and I got <laughs> sidetracked, man, but uh, here I am. Yeah, now we can start the show. Awesome. Of, of course, I was, having, not. I was. I was having. I was having a nice cognac with the French people. <laughs> oh man! If we were more prepared, we should have had like a nice like French meal in front of us. But that's not good on, on audio eating. Yeah. Right. 
What is this? Uh, what am I chewing? Yeah, what am I chewing? Deep cut there. Deep cage club cut there. Um, <laughs> so, of course, we're not talking Apocalypse Now Redux Part 3. This is the third part in our discussion. Can't wait to wrap up the film today. But first, remember to keep your friends close and your fellow podcasters closer by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five-star review or a positive rating. Also, follow Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar on social media, on Instagram to be specific. And you could follow me on Twitter, though I don't tweet a lot, but at OhMyRodriguez, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. And Mike at the Mikester S T I R pretty much yes. everywhere. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, that's right. <laughs> what else to say at that time? <laughs> Mike, I, I have a I have a question for you. You seem oh, a little get off. out of here. Questions? Yeah, you seem a little off. Is the LSD wearing off? If it's, is it is it wearing off, or have I just taken too much? Is that what's happening? No. <laughs> you seem like you're up the river, and you know you're not sure. Where we're going, but you're just following along. Maybe you'll hop on that machine yeah, gun. Yeah, dude, that's, ex- that's what's happening, man. I mean, the fog is thick, and I'm just letting <laughs> the boat go. I'm shooting toys, ar- toy arrows getting shot at me. Like, people speaking French. It reeks of rubber. <laughs> like, it's wild, man. It's wild. So, re- a regular Friday night for you. <laughs> yeah, you know. Of course, this would not be Uncle Francis's wine cellar without the wine. I finished that what was it called i forgot what the last one was called but i know it was a director's cut so i I finished the director's cut so i went into my wine collection and i just found this pinot noir francis coppola diamond collection pinot noir 2021 i think i've had this before but you know pinot noir is not going to disappoint you so as i open that let's just go into our segments mike let's do it Let's do it, man. Oh, by the way, I don't remember where it was, but I have a picture I meant to send you. I was somewhere in a liquor store or a liquor section supermarket or something, and uh, it was just all the Coppolas lined up together. Oh. But I got it here somewhere. Send you'll it, get it, send it eventually. For sure. Well, I mean, we'll talk extensively about the French segment, but I thought it's funny that uh, Hiller doesn't like wine. He's like, no wine. I don't yeah. drink wine. <laughs> She's like, how about the cognac? And he's like, sure. He he seems to share like opium and cognac, so. Yeah. Is you like the morphine? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we saw that opening sequence. Like, you know, the extended version of that, I think, had him doing more drugs, maybe. Or, yeah, right? Like That's a good anyway. call. I've never side-by-sided it like that. If that's a word, um. <laughs> that'd be interesting to see if there's a there's cuts like that online. They do that a lot on YouTube. Well, Mike, let's do okay. it. Let's let's open the merch stand. All right, <laughs> come walk this way. Take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Here we go. So this is a uh, this is sort of I'm picking back piggybacking off of one of your cuts and i realize we're gonna be watching this movie a lot so i'm saving some of the other things that i've found for the next round although hmm, we're gonna see the french segment again right it's in the final cut it's not in the final cut Mike. so this is it this is the only time we'll discuss the french i mean (sighs) we might discuss it if we do that bootleg cut that like 40 hundred hour bootleg cut then maybe i should send you a different thing we might have to do both 
do right, both. So. This is your merch stand, Mike's merch stand okay. of the week. We'll do both. Shower me with gifts. I mean, you 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 pretty much joined in on this anyway, but. Okay, so we'll start here, Brian. So, you know, the lot of Playboy magazines <laughs> from from like the issue, you can buy the issues mentioned in the movie pretty much like on eBay or you can get any issue nice. for your birthdays or whatever, right? So I found this. I'm sending to you now. Just got the little ding. What this is is Time Magazine, September 22nd, 1967, Volume 90, Ooh. Number 12. This is the issue that Kurtz reads in this movie, apparently, supposedly. If it's, you know, a, a true article, I don't know. I don't have the issue, but I thought it would be funny to maybe buy an issue. They, they range in value and condition from, like, you know, $12 to, like, $50 or whatever, but you could definitely get like a reader copy if you're looking for one. Yeah, the copy that would have been in the jungle with Kurt certainly would have been one that the binding was a little, you know, used, right? So I right. want a used copy for this. That is a great idea, Mike. I love it. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, that scene is only in this film as well. I know mm. it's not in the theatrical cut. So I think it's just in Redux. Wow, then then both of these items will be exclusive to this episode Ooh, and this cut of the film. Are you ready for the next item? I am. Bring it on. Sorry, okay. we just said my wine. No, no, I saw that. That's why I, I dramatic pause. But <laughs> so this, and I, this is an attempt also to get a little bit of extra sponsorship. Oh. This is some nice Louis the Thirteenth cognac. It's only $4,399.99. So, you know, I mean, it's this gorgeous bottle. It's got all this, like, nice, ornate stuff going on with it. Beautiful. Probably get your ass drunk as hell. You, you, you think you're floating down a river where you're really sitting still. So, yeah, you know, I thought I'd mention this on the show as well to see, you know, what if there's anybody, anybody's ears are burning out there, if they're listening. And I thought you'd appreciate this, too. I do. These may be two exclusive items, you know, relating only to this cut of the film. Well, you know, if we cover it again, maybe I'll drink cognac instead of, instead of wine. But Louis, the, what, 13th cognac? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's available for pickup at the River Edge Total Wine. So... We could pass by there. It's in aisle 10 left, bay one. So if you're listening out there and you want to gift us this cognac, I'll say it again. River Edge, New Jersey store, aisle 10, left side, bay one. Now, I never realized, but I'm sure they have this stuff like at Bottle King. And we need. A, and I also realized we need a P.O. box, the two of us. We need to have a place for them to send this. We actually do have a P.O. box. Let me let me get you the address right now. Give me one get second. The, get, yeah. Shut the front door. Yes, here, here's the address. 54 <laughs> New Jersey. Zero <laughs> No. 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 You can't send... All, yes, no, all our mail should go there. No. Please, if you want to stop by... I'm gonna, Brian, you have to I'm going to bleep it out. I'm going to bleep it out. <laughs> I just, Put it backwards so people can decode it if they want. I'll find a way to hide it, but yes, I just gave away the Godfather of the Cage Club podcast network, Joey Lewandowski's address. Uh, so so if you heard a bleep if you heard a squiggle if you heard something over the address i said i was just making a joke for mike and maybe joey (laughs) speaking of joey 
We saw each other recently. Oh yes, at Joey's Cage Club Barbecue. It was nice seeing you in the That's flesh right. once again, you Mike. Too. You as well. You and the misses. Uh, all that going on, and it was a very nice uh, barbecue. Finally, it wasn't blistering hot. I didn't feel like I was in the jungles of Vietnam for once <laughs> at Joey's Barbecue. You know, it was just nice and breezy, a perfect day. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good times. We got to see a lot of other Cage Club Podcast Network hosts. We did. That was really cool. Yes. Oh, the uh, host formerly known as Bob, uh, we talked to him about possibly coming on here to, uh, shall, we, shall we say, dissect Hearts of Darkness, the Joseph Conrad story one day and he agreed with some kind of fair warning involved that's all it's a fair warning that i do want to talk about later because whatever his name on the uh sorry i know i I was just no yeah not bob yeah not bob we could spell his name backwards by the way check out lottery pod it is the book podcast on the podcast hosted by the aforementioned artist formerly known as Bob and Joey Lewandowski. Great podcast. They have a lot of authors on there. He's just a symbol at this point. I don't know what, <laughs> what like an ampersand or something. Regardless, um, his discussion with us here at this barbecue sort of motivated my watch of the last third of this film. So I want to talk oh, about yeah. that a little bit later. Me too. Yeah. Oh, I've got I've got new notes that I didn't remember. So, like, I've got all new thoughts about this ending. Interesting, interesting. I can't wait. But before that, Mike, I have some merch for you. And no, I am not going to the Academy Store. <laughs> Though, it is wine-related. And, you know, total, ah. total wine, by the way. It's a clutch store. We're open to a wine sponsorship from any wine store. But I have to admit, I've gone to Total Wine a lot to get my Coppola wine. This is a, uh-huh. a non-sponsored plug. Because of what I just told you, you can look up the wine and it tells you the exact aisle it's in in every store. So when I'm looking for a rare Coppola, a different Coppola, I'll, I'll put it in the Total Wine app or the website and it'll tell me exactly where in the store to find it. And these stores are huge. Nice. And they're all around the country. They're like as yeah. big as supermarkets. So Total Wine, if you're listening, that is my audition to be a pitch man. And that is our audition for you guys to be the yes. official wine store sponsor <laughs> of the show. It's still open. Can I? Can I try to? Can I do a quick? Can I do a p- quick read? Cold read for them with nothing. Uh, so Go total wine as the name. Total wine. I can't find shit in your place, so I gotta use a map from computers to get my way around your store. Please p- pick it out for me, so I just do a drive by and drop it in my car. <laughs> Thank you, total wine. <laughs> That was okay. That was okay. Um, I th- I'm just, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> it's just kind of funny how it's like, our store's huge. Like, we got everything. You can't find anything without a map and some coordinates. I love it. I will tell you this about Total Wine. When I was on my honeymoon in South Africa, we visited a lot of vineyards, beautiful vineyards, right? And I remember a couple next to us was asking, oh, I love this wine. Where can I get it? And legitimately... In Africa, they were like, oh, you have Total Wine in the United States, right? I'm not going to do the accent. And they're like, yeah. It's like, yeah, you can find it at any Total Wine. It's just like just to be that far away from mm-hmm. the United States and to hear Total Wine, I was like, damn, they really control the wine trade. But regardless, <laughs> enough shout out to Total Wine. I do have a wine gift. It is not from Total Wine. 
But Mike, you mentioned needing this gift on a previous episode, so I tracked Ooh. the perfect one down for you. What do we have here? Yes, I'm at least... Oh, look at that! This is gorgeous! A one-hand decanter. It says Francis Ford Coppola Winery on it. It is from the Coppola Winery, and it's like, it's like lasered on. Very nice. It's beautiful. I think. Oh, I think. Wow, affordable too. Hold on. Should I just order this right <laughs> fifty-four dollars? I don't even drink enough wine. I'm gonna use it as a bong. Can I make it? <laughs> I honestly saw this. I'm like, damn. I wish I had. I wish I could get married again and put this on my registry. Um, unfortunately, well, I could get married again, <laughs> but that probably not a good idea for a lot of reasons. We could have a. Um, we could have a shower for you. In a couple months, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah. So, I thought when you said you needed a decanter, I'm like, let me find Mike a decanter. I'm like, I wonder if Francis Ford Coppola has an official decanter. And he does. Mm-hmm. From the Coppola Winery, $54. Again, might need one myself. So, Coppola Winery, sure. you're always welcome to sponsor the show. We use your wine a lot. We say your name a lot. So, maybe it's not beneficial. But, you know, well. well We'll prop it up a lot more if you were the official sponsor. Hell yeah. We're open for it. We're open for cannoli sponsorships. We're open for pizza sponsorship. Mike, I believe you alluded to this, but you, oh. you are open for a cannabis sponsorship. Is that correct? Oh, oh, most definitely. But you just, you, you reminded me, I was at a famous hot dog joint in my neighborhood recently, and I saw this, and I just had to send, I just have to send this to you. So if you bear with me, folks, this is, this is a live audible um calling right here so i thought you'd love to see this this is right behind the counter at a at a famous hot dog uh restaurant that i live near you're getting hot dogs without me mike what the hell yeah well you know i mean i gotta fuel myself every day somehow <laughs> i can't only eat hot dogs when you're around but check that out Ooh, cannoli filled fresh to order by the virgin mary i love it yeah, wonderful. You could see that right there. The empty shells, the Virgin Mary. Is cannoli the plural really like... for cannoli? I guess so. Is it cannolis? Is it cannoli? No. That is a great question. While I'm at it, I'm going to search for that Coppola thing that I saw, too. Continue. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Sending that, too. Look at all the wine, Brian. Whoa, what a display. And... We'll have to put this on social media. Very cool. I think I've had most of those, but there seems to be one or two that I haven't. But yeah, and there's so many varietals in the Francisco family. Oh, we gotta family. get like do like a checklist. We should start a checklist. We should do the authentic Francis Ford Coppola cut by cut checklist, uh, and we could do like the movies. We should do pairings too at some point as well. I think when we get better at this, we'll do some pairings. When I've had them all, and and you've hopefully had some, we'll do some pairings. Yeah, yeah, they do that on Turner Classic Movies a lot. Speaking of Turner Classic Movies, uh huh. Let's do it, Mike. Or sorry, let's do it, Mike. Mike Appella. Okay. <clears throat> hmm. Where in the world is the Godfather streaming? By the way, I just got to record that and send you the file. I'm kind of getting tired of doing that every week. <laughs> it's getting less and less fun for me for some reason. It's like it was such a fun idea at the beginning, and then I didn't realize I'd have to sing it every week. I feel like this was a very low energy. It's like, where in the I'm doing the <laughs> where in the world is the Godfather's dream? So, Mike, what you have to do is 
just record it in a different like vocal range or tone yeah every time four different ones like the next four times and then we'll just put it together in post and it'll be like a good yeah. the true mike Appella. <laughs> i like that <laughs> maybe if we have like an audio wizard out there that likes the show and listens enough they'll do that for us we are currently looking for an audio engineer sponsorship so that makes sense, Mike. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, and over on Too Fast, another show on the network, a flagship show on the network, a checkered flagship show <laughs> on the network. I busted out like a Fast and Furious rap um, like a few months ago, and I was like, hey, anyone want to get creative and put a beat to that? I don't think a single person has yet, so threw down that gauntlet a while ago. No one picked it up. It's just laying there like Molnir. So, <laughs> Love it, <laughs> no. love it. Yeah, uh, if you are a beat maker out there, we are looking for a beat sponsorship here as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And by the way, not this episode, but next episode, we'll have some exciting news regarding the artwork of Uncle Francis's wine cellar. So stay tuned for that. A long time in the making, yeah. A little tease. But before that, of course, you asked the question, Mike, and I will answer it. Where is the Godfather streaming? If you recall last time, it was taken off streaming, it was on TMC. Once again, I thought I'd have the same news. Oh, no, sorry. It wasn't on TMC. It was on IFC. Sorry, classics? IFC. 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 It's so hard Close. to keep track. Oh, man, all these letters. Now it's not on anything except occasionally it is airing on the Paramount Network. Not Paramount Plus. The Paramount Weird. Network, if you have it. You can catch it mm. certain times during the I... week. Otherwise, you could rent it on mm. Amazon. I believe that means it's yeah. currently a free agent. So if you... I have a theory. I have a big theory about this now. Okay. They're starving us for it. This begins the fast. Ooh, I'm furious. Maybe we don't see it streaming for a, for a while because Godfather season is the fall. The fall is when these networks go nuts, play it, start playing it 24-7, mm. you know, around between thanks, between like October Thanksgiving to christmas new year's a few months after maybe i feel like it's dwindled off television haven't seen it on tv for a while really even though i just mentioned might be on paramount network uh here and there i haven't seen it so i believe conspiracy my own design (laughs) that they are starving your eyes and ears uh so that when it comes back you watch it and sit down and you'll watch it a couple times in a row. Interesting. That's not, you know, I, I get it. The Godfather himself, Vito, is withholding, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I never wanted my friendship, you know? But uh, you have all the politicians in your pocket <laughs> and you don't share them. This is true. But uh, there's reasons. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. I like your theory, Mike. So maybe next time it'll be someplace else. Maybe next time it'll be nowhere. Who knows? We'll see. All right, Mike. We got a lot of news to cover, a lot of interesting stuff. Oh, boy. So first, give me the news thing. Give me the news jingle, unless you want to record that. Megalopolis update. Megalopolis news, Megalopolis update, and we do have something interesting, right? I do have a, if you don't mention it, I do have one thing, though. So for Megalopolis, this really cool article came out on Deadline.com. An interview with both Francis Ford Coppola and Kevin Costner at the same time. Whoa. And the tone of the interview was like, we are both 
creators who march by the beat of our own drum. We are the American auteurs. Yeah, uh, kind of, right? We're American auteurs who self-finance their own projects by hook or by crook. Some succeeded. Oh, by bi- yeah, huge, spectacular failures when they failed. Huge, spectacular successes when they succeeded. Exactly. And honestly, it's a really great read. So check it out, Deadline.com. Very interesting pairing there. Like two fine wines. I would not have... Uh thought about a blend if you will i like it i like it (laughs) now interesting stuff from this article in relevance to megalopolis coppola talks about apocalypse now and basically is like Mm. hey remember that movie remember everyone was i'm paraphrasing obviously remember no yeah yeah. (laughs) remember everyone was talking shit about that i don't know who the source was to say the megalopolis production was off the rails but trust me it wasn't we're good to go but but in the same article he and i will Exact quote him here. Deadline asks, uh-huh. this was a conversation from Cannes. So they, they were both at Cannes. Okay, okay, okay. And you, Francis, Megalopolis needs a distributor. And there are a lot of them wandering around like Crusette at Cannes. I'm assuming that's just like the main boulevard. So Coppola answers this. I'm not looking for a distributor as much as I'm looking for a distribution partner. Because the movie has already been made and financed. It has to be in theaters for the initial opening it's the way it was designed to look and behave. I'm most interested right now in arriving at the edit when it's the film that I want. My guess, it's not coming out this year, so we'll see. A lot to mine in there. Interesting. We kind of knew that it wasn't going to come out this year. We kind of knew that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm sort of like, I mean, maybe it won't come out next year. Like, this is, a, this is like, I, uh, it comes out when it comes out. That kind of thing. Like I, I know it's made, it's shot, so it's gonna happen. I, I'm patient enough. There's enough stuff to keep me busy until then. You know, James Gunn's rebooting the DC universe. I could watch that crap until like, you know, real movies. And it's gonna be a hell of a summer anyway. This year, it can't compete with stuff like Mission Impossible and Oppenheimer and that shit. Like, let it have next year. Like, I could see next winter even. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think we're gonna be waiting a while. That's fine. We got a lot of couple of movies to cover, so. So that's okay by my book. Interesting that it doesn't have an official distributor. He didn't seem concerned, obviously. But what I mind from here that was key is that it's definitely getting a theatrical release. He definitely right. insists yeah, on that. The look. He said it yeah, the look is I get what he means by that too, you know. Give it let it let it run in the theater first. That's cool. For I'll sure. So looking forward to that. I think that's positive news, if you will, just because we knew we were gonna have to wait regardless, right? Right. All good. Did you have any other Megalopolis news, or can we move on to yeah, general? Yeah, yeah. I had a, a just, just, just a quick thing. You know, um, I now follow Francis Ford Coppola on Instagram. The old man has a gram. It's the uh, Coppola gram, and it's like very active, and and it does cool stuff. And like he posted this really fun video about the cast uh, of Megalopolis and like behind the scenes and he's talking about it and all kinds of behind the scenes things and his philosophy about it and you know I thought uh, I don't know if it's the video I sent you but he's like you know all these movies I made The Godfather, Apocalypse Now, all these genre pictures this and that like really they're not like my style and I'm sitting there going like what are you talking about he's like I've never really found what a Francis Ford Coppola movie would look I like know. I argue one from I argue one from the heart I will sit down and be like, but Francis, uh, anyway, he's like, I think that is what drove me with Megalopolis, right? He's talking about like, this might be 
a hundred percent of Francis Ford Coppola picture. He's like, I've been ma- I've been writing it for decades, <laughs> and wanting to do it, waiting for the right time. His magnum opus. I'm 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 really down with that. That was a pretty cool video, and uh, and uh, I'm glad he's got like the content out there. You know, it's probably his grandkids and his kids and his nieces and nephews, and, and everyone's like, you got to get on the Instagram with this. <laughs> Yeah, Marketing. yeah. You don't, you don't have a distributor yet. Market this shit. And yeah, that was. Thank you for sending that along to me. That was so great, and it, it is a great follow. I cannot wait to see his vision, and because you, again, you said it one from the heart. That might be the closest to it, but it's very clear that we are finally getting whatever his mind has ever wanted to tell us. Right, like the story. That is the true Coppola story we're going to get. And it could be a beautiful disaster. It could be the most amazing yeah. thing in the world. But we study this man. We want to see it. And we can't wait. Yeah, yeah. So we, we still don't have a plot, really. We know it's sort of about something. So, like, he mentions in the video, too, he's like, well, this goes back all the way to, like, the first stories or whatever he's talking about. He's like, it's about how one guy is about tradition and the old ways and the other guy is like a futurist he's looking towards the future trying to change things and about how those ideologies clash and i was like okay well like that's the movie (laughs) that's all we've that's all we're getting and we that's all kind of we've gotten so far i think the we've got more of it is that like the one guy is in love with the old man's daughter and it's might take place in the future yeah you know it could be a sci-fi movie yeah, like I'm, I'm wondering how sci-fi it's gonna get. If it's like, metro- if it's gonna be his Metropolis, like if that's what Megalopolis is sort of a play on as well. If we can sort of derive themes, stuff like that from, from those. Like, if there's clues in that movie, which also would be awesome because that would mean if like that inspired this, then that also inspired Star Wars to a degree. That like George and Francis are like. We, we just fucking love Metropolis. Like, we're just constantly mining it for our own stuff. Like, that would be fun. I mean, similar title. So, I mean, a lot of people have hypothesized that. You sent me something else on Twitter that I want to share. This is more in the Coppola news thing. But yes. I just have to shout out. We've mentioned this person's name before. But their Twitter handle is... John Frankensteiner, or Jay Frankensteiner, sorry. Mm-hmm. We are probably their biggest fan, but they would be our biggest fan. Not of us as people, but like, a, we'd be friends is the point, right? Right, right, right. Because like, if you scroll through our Twitter conversation, you've sent me so much stuff from it, like Corey stuff and other stuff. Oh, yeah. But there was this thing uh, going viral the other day when Cans was up and running or whatever, about like, post your favorite press conference from Cans, and he posted... Uh, one where Coppola is defending Apocalypse Now. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I got it right here. Coppola showing up at Cannes in 1979 with Apocalypse Now, still mostly insane from being in the jungle too long, just spitting bars, what it's all about. Yeah, that's the tweet. And yeah, follow this guy. Honestly, he's awesome. And yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that today because we are deep in the jungle when it comes to this film. But Mike, more news. So much news. It's mostly silly news. Oh my God. Okay, well, I'll take it. News is news. It's new with an S. I know you, me, and the foodie films man Kyle have talked about this privately, but have you caught any episodes of Paramount Plus's hot new show? Do you know what show I'm talking about? I mean, it can only be 
one show. There only is that show. I mean, it's definitely Sly <laughs> and the family Stallone. And family Stallone. I, I wish I could say I had time enough to waste to watch an episode yet. I've not seen a full episode, but I have seen the clips that we've watched that we have circulated that have been around for promo and they are just pure gold. Like they're gold. I just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I just watching the clip, there was a clip of him and Pacino. I just want a show about him and Pacino. Just, they'd need to do a movie where they're two old fathers who don't understand like the world. Like how do you take a picture with a phone? <laughs> That's why I brought it up. Right. Want, 20 minutes of Sly explaining to Al, oh, you take the phone, you take the thing, you turn it around, that's you. <laughs> and Pacino going like, like it's almost like Twib Peaks being like, ah, that's me in the phone. Like, <laughs> you know, like I don't understand cell phones. It's so weird. That's why I bring it up. Typically, I'm not into this type of reality TV. I haven't officially seen an episode, but I do watch the clips. And if you're not familiar, this is a show of Sylvester Stallone and his three daughters and his wife. And just sort of living their life, you know, just doing their thing. Um, you got a lot of Frank Stallone in it. You got a lot of, like, memorabilia stuff. <laughs> but there is a clip that was going around, like you said, of Al Pacino in all his glory and all his flowy outfits. Yeah, yeah, he, in his schmock. Yeah. He, looks like, <laughs> he looks like an artist in, you know, like Picasso's neighbor, you know, back then. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right, they have this great conversation about like dyeing their hair and technology and cell phones if the show's mostly that i'm all in but we'll see it can't be that it can't be but i wish it was it's related to what we talk about it's paramount plus it's al pacino had to bring it up it would be great if other people showed up on that show too though that's all i'm saying speaking of pacino i know you saw the good news mike he's gonna be a daddy at the age of 83 dude what <laughs> The hell? Like, Tony Randall, eat your heart out. <laughs> Banging on his coffin, like, damn you, Pacino, how did you beat my record? Like, that's wild stuff. Wild stuff, and if you recall, Mike, we didn't share it on air, but we might have shared it off air. Robert De Niro just had a kid this spring. I don't remember hearing that news. So, Pacino has had a kid, De Niro has had a kid. Can we make, like, you know how there's, like, Muppet Babies? Can we make, like, Godfather Babies or something along those lines? Oh, way? my God. That'd be a, that'd be incredible. <laughs> Coppola's not having any more kids, though. I'll tell you that much. Well, he's going to have a great-grandchild who can maybe direct it. Or, pff, what am I talking about? Her, his, <laughs> his granddaughter. His own grandchild. She, yeah, she's amazing director already. Yeah, with that TikTok video. Right. She could direct circles around people for him yeah so one day we could have the children of de niro and the children or the child of de niro and the child of pacino in a film together wait the child of de niro and pacino maybe one day Mike. cross technologies cross those genes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing oh man okay two other things i wanted to note before we uh start talking redux again um we haven't mentioned this yet but news came out a couple of weeks ago that Paramount Plus was changing its name slightly. Uh, wait, again? I don't remember this. Was it that long ago? Well, because they want to integrate Showtime into Paramount Plus, it's going to be called Paramount Plus oh, Showtime. Man. Oh, my God. So we're getting a full that math equation. Dumb. <laughs> that is just dumb. Why don't they just call it Paramount? Get rid of the Plus. Get rid of everything else. Oh, 
or Paramount Time or Showmount. <laughs> the other thing I want to mention, uh, June 23rd, not a Coppola film, but already as of this recording, it's been limited release here. Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson film oh, is coming out. Yes. I checked the credits. Story co concepted by if you will roman coppola so in the coppola family interesting you know i know he's contributed a lot to uh wes anderson's work a lot by the way if you go to this um i think it's the deadline article one of the articles we talked about today the photo in it of coppola directing has him in like a white seersucker suit fresh out of a wes anderson film it looks like so he's he's living his best life too so Quick bits of news. Anything else you had, or should we just jump into the Redux? I think we can just jump right in. Might as well take the plunge. So, on the first episode, you asked, why did he name this Redux? Mike, I scoured the internet. I looked high and low. It might be in a special feature somewhere where he talks about it. There doesn't seem to be a written rhyme or reason why he chose Redux instead of new cut or something along those lines except that it sounded cool it's like the first question like at the press conference or whatever is like you know you're sitting down t- talking to him i was like okay so why call it redox why not director's cut <laughs> you know who knows so sorry i couldn't get an answer for you on that oh one. it's okay i i wasn't it wasn't holding you to it don't worry about it thank you for looking i've got to listen to more of the um audio commentary for sure to find out. we're gonna have some audio commentary episodes in the future. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. So, last time we left off at the death of Mr. Yes. Clean. Right. And we are sailing down the river. Today we are going to conclude Apocalypse <sighs> Now. Really, a, a couple mini scenes, but two very big scenes. Yes. And we start off in, for me, when people talk about Redux, mm-hmm. in the first three sentences of the conversation... They bring this up, and that is the French scene, as it's referred to. The French sequence. The French sequence. It's a a series of scenes. It's like one, two, I think it's about three scenes. It is long. I I, I can name them out for you. They're all long. They're all about 10, 15 minutes long. No, they're all all long scenes, but they're good. But we're heading up. They're at least five minutes. We're heading up the river, of course. (laughs) I shouldn't have even said that. And... Things get very weird. Shouldn't have even said that. But we approach this like <laughs> smoky, foggy area, and suddenly they're besieged by, you know, a, a rival army, if you will. But Chef, being from New Orleans and seemingly from an old French family, because he knows French, or maybe it's because of his uh, cooking education that he knows French. I wasn't sure. I, I mean, c- yeah, could be that's both. what I thought. Could be both, right? He's from New Orleans, so he. Start speaking French, and it's like, oh, no. They're friendly, essentially. So we get it. We get the scene that is only in Apocalypse Now Redux. This French colonizing scene. And, Mike, I want to ask you something. The first time you saw Redux, or maybe one of the first times, what was your impression of this sequence? Very different than my impression this time. I'll tell you that. Uh, The first time, it was more just like... I finally get to see these missing scenes, this legendary sequence, you know, like everyone's getting to see it. It's like watching the Richard Donner cut of Superman 2. It's like, wow, no one ever thought this would be unearthed. Uh, Like, how did they release this? Like, this is amazing. So it's very exciting to watch. So whether it's good, bad, or you like it or not, I was just very excited to watch it. And 
I think the first time I was just kind of like, um, okay, like, I think there's a lot more going on here than I can kind of contextualize, you know, they get into a lot in a very small period of time. And it's even presented in a way that sort of the viewer is kept kind of in the dark or in the dust, like they speak a lot of French. They, it's from a very French point of view. They talk about the, their different political views on the situation of America, you know, and how they viewed America. They talk about the whole thing about the Americans inventing the Viet Cong and all this. And it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, and then it ends with like a quasi sex scene and people doing morphine and opium and getting high and stuff. But uh, so the first time it was just very quizzical and kind of like oh more like from an academic standpoint of like oh why well this is just like interesting and why was this cut and you know it wasn't even like did i like it so much as it was just like oh i'm watching something that like you know no one ever thought we'd be able to see i might have even just like skipped right to it on the dvd (laughs) to be honest with you just so i could see it first so as Um, as you recall redux was the first cut i watched right so right. I saw this and I was like, whoa, I never heard of this part before. This is so interesting to me. Huh. And I loved it the first time I saw it. Okay, so remember last time we discussed like once they passed that bridge, it was almost the point of no return. It was like being yes. at the edge of a black hole. Yes. And th- like space and time were bent. Like right. this, this right. to me was like the perfect encapsulation of what that was. And I had genuinely mm. at the time, I remember I told you I was watching a lot of Vietnam films. I had never seen one that had really mentioned the French. So I thought this was pretty cool at the time. I still think it's cool. I think it's cool for yeah. different ways. But you mentioned that your take this time was a little different, Mike. Yes. Yeah, because, you know, I wish I had more of that kind of like... T- time warp kind of feel from this movie. I know Coppola wants us to watch them kind of go back through history. And like, that's kind of what we're seeing is them going back in time and all that. And I, and it's there and I read that and I like that, but what watching it this time, watching the Redux, especially what I get from this most more is like Dante is like Inferno is like that kind of stuff is like, this is, this is the river sticks. Like I really mm. like that interpretation. And I think at this point in the movie, it is kind of hitting us over the head. Like, I think that's part of the French sequence, why it might've gotten removed. It's because it's, it's extremely like, well, let me explain. So like, I'm watching it this time and I'm like, Oh, it's a ghost town. Where is everybody? And you see the smoke and it's like a haunted, haunted house kind of vibe. And then all of a sudden they appear like specters, you know, like, like, visions or apparitions of the past so i'm watching this sequence as like these are all these people are all dead you know like not actually dead but like the literal interpretation is like this is a dead group of people they're not you know nothing's gonna change here and then even in the dinner time the men are all wearing white there's a lot of white going on um like they look like ghosts you know, they act like ghosts in the sense that, like, they are stuck kind of like in Beetlejuice. They are confined to one place or like or like, you know, Hell House and things like that. You know, they are kind of trapped and they're haunting this location and they're just running through these motions over and over and they refuse to leave and accept that they're dead or something like that. You know, very sixth sense. So that's sort of more where I was coming from this time around is that, like, 
it, it works in the same way that like they are from the, you know, they are walking into a bit of the past, but it's, it's more like the past is meeting them halfway in a sense is that like, as they are going deeper and deeper into the depths of like the afterlife to find, you know, Satan and kill and slay him, basically, like they are meeting all of these um, like ghostly apparitions along the way. And this, this is like a big one of them. So that's, that's where I was coming from like this time around. And I know that sounds kind of like wild or whatever, but I think we have, I think we have similar takes to be honest with you. For me, yeah, I agree. It was less surreal this time um, Mm -hmm. and more, that these were desperate people living on the edge of reality, right? It didn't feel so ghost-like to me as it did the first couple times. It didn't feel so, like, time machine, like it's been described by a lot of people. You know, we're doing this for the podcast, so I really, really tried to listen to what they were saying, and I was really taking notes and observing. And it's like, they're li- they are living a fantasy, but they're very much in a reality. Right. They're trying to craft this, like, uh, you know colony literally colony space station if you will but quite literally it's falling apart within their members yeah they're dying off but also they don't all agree on what's going on there it's almost like a like a white collar yeah. prison in a sense they're pr- imprisoned by the belief that they have to stay there you know oh man like you just made me think of this which now feels obvious as well like it is very much and this is also a french play so it's very much like no exit right? Where like hell is other people. And it's like, you see these guys and they all refuse to leave this room and they're all arguing with with each other. And they're all like suffering a hell of their own making. And they refuse to like do anything. That's the Benwell Benwell film. Is that? Yeah. uh, uh, No, it was, I think it's a, it was a play. I don't know if it's ever been made into a film. I'm not. And I wish I knew exactly who wrote it. I could search right now, but I'll I'll look it up. You talk. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm getting a lot of this. Like they're traveling through the afterlife, and like they're gonna find Kurtz, who's like, you know, fucking shit up down there. Like you don't, you know, like John he's running Paul it wrong. Sartre, Sartre, Sartre. Sartre. Okay. yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't know my my Sartre. 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 Yeah. I don't know my French theater like you do, Mike. So I apologize. See, that's the no, I don't either. <laughs> I, that's the only. I only again full confession. The only reason I even sought that out when I was a young a youngster is because and I'll name drop it again Beetlejuice I said it before I'll say it again oh. uh like yeah someone said oh you like Beetlejuice as a kid you should read No Exit I was like why uh and then I you know read it and figured it out whatever anyway so yeah like all of this stuff is playing for me in this time and uh and I'm digging it I'm trying to think of the Boonwell film I'm talking about um I know which one you mean um they're in a room and they can't leave. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, they're yeah, no, yeah, they're trying to have dinner. It's like the dinner party. Yeah, that might be the name. Even I don't even know. But <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, I don't know, dude. The obscure object of desire, possibly that could be the one. Oh no! Oh, uh, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. That's the one, right? Yeah. Oh, that's what it's called. That's I think that yeah. Yeah, a group of bourgeois people attempting, despite continual interruptions, to dine together. That's all it is. And they keep like getting up and sitting yes, down yes, and, and yes, trying that's to it. have dinner. And then at one point they leave, but they do come back and all that. Yeah, Wunyel has some that's crazy it. stuff. That's it. Exterminating angels, good too. In this particular scene in Redux, my feeling on it is also... So I, I will be honest with you, I do love it. But 
I could have ended at the dinner party, right? Like I don't I didn't need the stuff mm-hmm. with the girl. She's she's like making eyes at him, whatever. I don't hate it, but I do think the sequence is long. I I, w- yeah. I was thinking to both the final cut and the theatrical cut and how the effect of the bridge to me and then where we move to like it almost moves at a more phonetic pace after that right it's it's not mm-hmm. fast but it's all it's like oh my god unknown chaos boom uh, you know we'll talk about it later but uh you know a chief dies and then oh you know we're here it feels more dangerous this in the pacing of redux it's another side adventure right it's another pause yeah, they got off the boat, yeah. <laughs> Nothing dangerous also happens here. Yes, there's an argument, but it ends up with him having right. sex with a, a hot lady and, and, and smoking morphine slash opium, right? So, like, it's not like they wake up and all the French are about to kill him and they have to run away and get back on the boat, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, almost every other side quest has been something like that. Not the Playboy one, but, like... No, I feel you. No, it's felt more like the Odyssey. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And there is that element of danger orig- uh, instantly. But then, you know, they, they're like, no, don't shoot. And, like, they don't shoot. And then they have dinner and all this stuff. So, like, that's immediately sort of, like, extinguished. And then uh, we also forgot to mention they do the burial. They do. I, I like, want to talk about yeah. it. Sorry, I was going over our Yeah, thing. no, it's okay. It's okay. But I'm just saying, like... I feel you. I feel like it could be sort of like, you know, cut back more. It feels like it was put in because it's like, you want it, you got it. Here it is. Here is all of it. You know, like there's, there's no looking away. It's like every every inch of film is on screen. But like, yeah, the the scene with uh, with him like ending up having sex and that, I think it's more about like, you know, if you think of this as the way station of some kind of like, after this he's gonna go like totally primal so like this is his last chance to have a nice dinner and and be civilized and have a bed and a and a and a woman and like or like a companion i'll say and be treated like he's gonna have like this gentle time with the drugs and all that kind of stuff so like it's it's a chance for the movie and for him to kind of like get a little peaceful maybe with that scene before like we see just pure fucking hell and insanity and like a throne of skulls you know like you know like it's kind of like even watching the, the the end now that we're gonna get to it's just like damn like i had to look away at sometimes it's just, i forgot how fucked up this is so like it's nice to kind of have this calm before the storm yeah that's a really good point i do like that interpretation i think again if you were going to episode this and add a little tension in this episode again this mm. is us this is us rewriting master, oh, master. I have such a good note i have such a bad note but it's so good <laughs> part of me like as you say that i almost wish that willard felt more tempted to stay there i didn't get a sense that any of them were tempted to stay there right yeah and we don't see the other guys no. while he's with her you know so here, here's my bad note like what if it comes out that like she's an assassin you know <laughs> sent by kurt like to like intercept him or something so. i thought but you you hit on something i thought it was curious that i know they can't mention the mission and i get that but i think it's curious that these people apparently live so close to kurt's and he's talking about everywhere we go we see signs 
he's warning us, you know? He's integrated himself with the people. He's scaring them with things. Well, yeah. And I almost wish they mentioned, like, oh, we thought you were with, you know, the American who's terrorizing everybody, you know? Well, maybe he's like Voldemort. They just don't mention him. But, like, that leads me to something that I had always thought about this sequence, which I wish would be possible. I don't know if you could do it, but personally, could I wonder, could this sequence come before the bridge? Like, could they? I mean, Ooh. I know it probably can't because they're so far removed from everything, but it would just make a little more sense why they don't mention Kurtz, why they're so heavily defended you know they got all those they got a fucking army they got their own private and army. less tempted to stay because it's like no we got to get the mission we got to yeah. get the mission and and more and more reason for them to stay where they are because they're not as in quite as much danger as they are on the other side of that exactly bridge. they could be like you don't want to go past that bridge you know it could have yeah they, it could be like the harbinger scene in the horror movie where it's like you know for real be like don't go up there like you don't want to mess around it's haunted so, up so the there. reason that's where it is is twofold i think one they, yeah, they've yeah. already killed larry fishburn here so, and and the burials yeah, there yeah. and two i guess the bridge is the last active american presence in vietnam and these french okay. like exist beyond it but thematically yeah, yeah. You're right. I'd like to see like a stronger writer than the two of us figure that one out because there is something here that yeah. could be salvaged. Because also, it would be the perfect spot for one of them to stay. Like, I don't know who, like, maybe Chef stays in another version, and I'm not upset with that. Like, he's out of them, you know, because he's the one who's always saying, don't get off the boat, man, don't get off. And he's like, I don't belong here. And, like, he gets off the boat here, and it's like he speaks their language. He fits in. He could, like, see himself making – he's like, what are these sauces, man? What's your recipes? And, all. you know, it feels like he's comfortable. He's not scared. Like, he could actually fit in there maybe. He's talking about New Orleans and stuff, you know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just – I'm just – it's coming to me now, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate that. I know we're doing the thing you shouldn't do, like rewriting a masterpiece. Oh, this is what this exactly is what podcast about movies. Exactly <laughs> the thing you should exactly. Do. <laughs> and Mike, how about even this? Let's say he doesn't stay there, but let's let's yeah. show that he wants to stay there, and Willard forces him off, yeah. and then again he there, we and go. then he eventually dies. That makes his death way more powerful. That like he almost had yeah. his like last point of no return and Willard forced him to go back. Like, no, we got a mission. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Because you know if he made it, he's staying there on the way back or something. Like he's jumping up. <laughs> but but all this Brian, new podcast, here's the title. It's called No Notes. And all we do is just have lists of notes about movies that we want to change yeah. things. Not even for the better. We just like maybe we could change Armchair this. directors, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, a couple of notes in this scene that I know both of us want to talk about. And, and the first one is, yes, when they arrive and they're welcomed in, this is the first time I really caught this. One of the reasons they take them in is because they say we have, one of ours has died. You know, we have a, you know, a dead person on here. Essentially, like, we'd like to bury them. And they say something along the lines of, you know, we, we'll bury one of our allies. And it, it creates a sense of peace there. And there's this beautiful, like, 
uh, cemetery they've set up. And the funeral to me is interesting for a couple reasons. One, and this is the shot I was remembering last time. We get that awesome shot of the chief when he puts on his old school Navy hat. Mm. And he's basically like, this is confirmation of what we've been saying. He's an old school Navy man. Vietnam's not a true Navy war. But if this is a different war, he's commanding a ship on the open seas. If this is the 1800s, theoretically, I know, again, there are parameters there. Like a black person wouldn't have been allowed to be captain. But theoretically, he has the spirit and the talent to be commanding, like, a, you know, a beautiful ship with all its masts, right? And like a four, a three-cornered hat, right? Like he is a true right. sailor here. And you show it here, but you also see his vulnerability. He's crying again. That you know, one of his soldiers, one of his sailors, his youngest sailor has died. Someone he saw himself as a father figure as. So it's a really impactful scene, I think, for his character. Yeah, I agree. It's so funny to think of him as like master and commander, like out of those ships back in the day, um, you know, or like chasing Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually I quite like this scene too. And like the flag, you know, the only American flag they have is like tatters. Right, but like, yet they do it ceremonially. Like they give the flag, like, and everything. They wrap it best they can, and yeah, I, I, you know, just the mutual respect shown for a fallen soldier. And yeah, it's it's a lovely scene. But I gotta say, like, the craziest thing to me. This is the first time I ever heard of this. Rubber, okay, rubber trees that rubber's grown from trees, and like these people brought the trees from South America. Uh, like I, I had only seen one other movie and it was after the redux Fitzcarraldo. It's the movie where the guys like, it's the Herzog film mm-hmm. where they're hauling like the opera house boat over the mountain. And like, I think that's the movie. And there's like a plantation of the rubber tree. And I was like, rubber comes from trees. That was way back. That was a while. Oh, but like, yeah. yeah, this, that, that's that, that whole thing is crazy here too. Is like, you know, the idea that the French, do this whole thing where they're like they they said this whole he, he gives this kind of monologue where he's like we at dinner where he's like we've lost every time he's like you americans would you want to get into that in a minute or do you want me to save that i mean well let's save it for a second because just one more thing okay. one more thing on the funeral that i forgot to mention sorry i think it's so interesting that they decide to bury clean here and it makes so much sense mm-hmm. right because typically look you know his family would probably want his body back to the u.s but at that point yeah they have determined they're definitely not making it back right there's right. no way that's going to happen if they do great so they all decide especially you know um the chief i think right that the most respectful thing to do would be to bury clean there and have that ceremony like a proper naval burial ceremony mm-hmm. that will honor his legacy. And they lowered the tape with him. It's almost like his family being there. Oh, Remember that's yeah. the tape of it, like his right. mom presumably talking to him. Yeah. But they, they, yeah, the whole, the whole recorder. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The, the whole, yeah. On him. The whole yeah, recorder yeah. on there. So I, I just think it's so fascinating. Yeah. That like, it's almost confirmation for them that like, yeah, we're not making it back. There's no way. I love that. I love that reading because and a little, I mean, we're, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. There's still more to talk about with this sequence, but like, you know, after Chief is speared and Willard finally tells them the mission, and it's like so nonchalant. He's like, "Yeah, like I'm sending up River to kill one of our own," and Chef's like, 
that's the mission, man. I thought you were going to blow something up. You know, he agrees to go further. He's like, fuck it, man. I'm not staying here. Like, we're going all the way, you know? So I like the reading that whether they realized it or not, that is that them kind of admitting, at least to us, if not to themselves, being like, yeah, like, we're not coming back. Like, bury us out here. Like, we belong here more than we do there. So rest our bones here. Like, that kind of thing. That's a very interesting read. Yeah, for sure. And I was only, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was only because I know. No, it's fine. I know we're going to talk the politics at this dinner scene for a little bit. And because, again, you and I, I think we're paying attention yeah. a little bit more here. And they're just speaking about their interpretation of the history there, why they yes. want to die there and why they want to be there forever. And they feel like France gave up on them and they blame America for things. Well, and, and they feel like losers, like as French, as like proud French people, right? It's like. Oh, Fran the French fought itself, then it lost this war, and it lost this war, and it lost this war. It's like, you Americans, you came out of World War II looking great, but we didn't. Like, we got conquered, uh, you know? So it's like, we're not leaving. It's like, fuck it. This is the final straw. Like, we put our roots in. We're not going. I don't care how bad it gets. We're staying like we came here before this war. We came here before this situation. We can't, you know, and everybody's been trying to get us to leave so much. So to the point where the solution to get us out of here is now the problem for the people who caused what they thought was the solution. And they're fighting them. Like they basically are saying like the war in Vietnam is like, America fighting itself after trying to create this thing to get this force to get rid of us. Which, by the you way, know? is bullshit. Um, this is something that's been criticized of the Redux cut, which I think is so dumb. This doesn't need to be true. Exactly! This is the character's point of view. And they're clearly insane people, too. Like, I've read, <laughs> I was reading articles where it was like, not how dare he, but almost the tone of like, Oh, this isn't an accurate Vietnam story. One, one, no shit. And two, and two, it was like, oh, you know, they're spreading false history. Yeah, you shouldn't watch this and be like, oh, this one French guy has it right. And you know why? Because people at his goddamn table, people in the family, are disagreeing with him. The old, the old yes. man is saying, oh, we well, can make peace with, with, with the Vietnamese. One of the guys there is yeah. saying, like, you know, we're, you know, we're socialist, communist, socialist, communist, right? Like. Come on. Anyone who has that interpretation of this scene yeah. is like, watch a movie. Characters aren't saying facts. This isn't Francis's yeah. point of view. This is a point of view of a desperate person who is literally surrounded by enemies on all sides and is framing the debate in a survivalist way to create a superiority for himself and the people around him yep. so that they can survive. And he shows the, the invasions they've repelled there and you know him planning to die there. But again, it's his point of view and it's his erroneous point of view. Oh. Exactly. You know, and it's like, why can't you do that? In a movie, and, and and it's like such a minor character to be like this guy's right <laughs> means like you don't and it like the the minute he started saying it, I go to myself like oh yeah I remember this like you know I was like that's not true, 
Okay, but it's like it's a it's very compelling for the story for them to come across people with strong convictions because guess who they're going to come up against in in a very short while, the man with the strongest mm-hmm. fucking convictions and the craziest goddamn ideas about the world. Okay, so this is just like a mini Kurtzer. It's just to show how like a normal a normal person, but like how anybody can get a conspiracy stuck in their head and be all about it right and not and it just like infests your brain and it's like especially if you've if you've decided you're not going to go anywhere and do anything and learn anything else about stuff like it's going to just like destroy you and define you at the same time and and i love the point about everyone at the table being like that's not right like or like that's like this is really what i think and that you know like there's a there's a discussion going on like then the movie is not saying this guy is the end all be all the fucking little person playing the accordion is arguing with this guy being like that is not right at all like this is what's you know like everybody's got their ideas about you know like he's kind of the jester being like everybody's kind of nuts here we all have got these crazy ideas of what's going on they're going crazy it's quite obvious there there i mean who wouldn't in those circumstances and mike you hit on a really great point that i first noticed on this watch this is almost like a mini kurt situation they're all mini Mm -hmm. kurtzes and one of the great hypocrisies of this scene is the whole idea of colonialism there's truth in what they're saying and there's also the fantasy of colonialism here. One of those things is that, and you mentioned it with the rubber, we brought the rubber here, so it's our land. They never mentioned that essentially, yes, they did bring the rubber there from South America, but they did not share in the profits with the Vietnamese. They did not buy the land from the Vietnamese, you know, when it was French Indochina, right? They, I hate to use this word, but they essentially raped the land from Mm -hmm. the local people enslaved the local people essentially and he's brushing over all that to say like hey we planted the trees here it's ours now how about the people that live there yes you did some of it but it wasn't a it wasn't a cooperation and you see this too when chef says the food is great can i talk to the chef and they're like they only speak vietnamese they're still enslaving people kind of i don't know enslaving might be too heavy of a word but they're still colonizing people there yes it's at this point they've it seems like they've been there long enough that it's like this, it, it, like Kurtz, like it's an indoctrination, and you'll see like Kurtz hasn't been there that long, and look what he's been able to do. These guys have been there way longer than him, right? And so it would stand the reason that there's the community that they kind of overtook is now compliant, so to speak, to a degree, or like under their thumb, or what's left of it, and maybe generations have passed that like you're just now. Oh, that's what you do. You're born into it. Like we work exactly. for those the white French people kind of thing. And they're certainly not equals. They're not at the table. They're serving. No, not at all. No. And that's the perfect point where it's like that you you know, if you could understand the chef, you could go ahead and talk to him. And yeah, and and it's I think it's a great way to think of it as like a mini sort of Kurt situation or like a version of that, like people who don't have the resources necessarily or or that kind of ambition or like complacent with what they're doing right and it's like we're gonna see kurt soon and it's like well here's a guy who's like so fucking smart that like we can't even understand him half the time right like that's the concept of him as opposed to like these people who don't know really what they're talking about anymore 
like that's kind of the difference I say. And you see how much Kurtz has been able to like amass and kind of destroy in such a short period of time. And these people running kind of in circles, you know? So it's like a difference of kind of like constitution is like these people, like they don't have the will or the strength that someone like Kurtz will to be able to like, you know, do something with this insanity. I think that's why the military is afraid of Kurtz. It's like, this guy has the chance to like fucking conquer Vietnam. If we just like, don't stop for it. me it's it, i think the word you're sort of dancing around is conviction right like the the french yeah. colonists here they have to bullshit their way through conviction they like say it out loud and thus it makes it real to them kurtz believes this bullshit right kurtz <laughs> there we go yeah. kurtz has conviction uh, and that's the real difference here one more thing on yes, the on the french you. sequence um, we covered this when we covered Hearts of Darkness, the documentary, um, why they eliminated it. Francis just felt like it wasn't working, but one of the other reasons was the actors. They sort of hastily got some actors last minute. He didn't feel like it was working in that respect either. I don't know if I noticed mm. that here. They're not like there's big names in this French sequence. Yeah. But if you recall, in Redux, a lot of this is ADR'd, apparently. Um, because okay. he, you remember, he you see it in the documentary. He gives up like halfway through the dinner scene, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you catch any of that here? Did like would you have known that if you didn't see the documentary? No, but it's just funny how you mention like the actors and this and that because like I kept saying to myself the perfect, the perfect casting. It's Spielberg did it in Close Encounters. He. He casted Francois, uh, Francois Truffaut as one of the scientists who's studying the extraterrestrial phenomena in that movie. And he only did it because he loves the, he loved his movies and this and that. And, he, and Truffaut wasn't an actor per se, but he did it as a favor. But like, that would have been amazing stunt casting is to get, like, is for Coppola to have gotten like a, a living legendary french director i mean Truffaut was young around this time it's not like he was legendary but he was on his way to becoming a legend for sure but like that would have been a great moment if he had had time to do that so i don't know i wonder if maybe he did the voiceover dub or oh something like that. yeah interesting interesting anything else on the french sequence uh the woman who like won't stop staring at him throughout the entire dinner sequence i noticed this about this movie there is a lot of shots. This sequence in particular, too. I was, I was, I was feeling a lot of Kubrick again in this sequence, and I think it's that, like, you know, people are, and Kurtz will do it later, but like people, sort of in the back end in this movie, I feel, are staring directly at us, like looking right down the barrel of the lens. She gives a really long one in this sequence where she, the camera is just dead center on her like close up there's a bunch of close ups in this movie i didn't recognize maybe it's just the redux maybe he took them out because it's very unnerving um and because it's just generally i feel like studios don't like that when it's like the audience doesn't want to be reminded that they're watching a movie you don't want to see people looking right at you it's it, it freaks them out i think they're here to do just that to freak us out and to kind of have a level of reality removed from what's actually going on to make it keep feeling like kind of surreal 
surrealistic and stuff. So uh, rewatching this friend sequence again this time, man, it was very cool. It was very different, very interesting. So if this is the only time we watch it, that's too bad. Uh, you know, we could do like a whole kind of like mini episode on this again at some point, if we want, you know, when we do the commentary track. Oh, true. The commentary track, we, we will revisit that. That's a good point. Uh, and I don't mind that we talked a lot about it be- for the exact point that you just said, right? We might never get a chance to talk about this again, or not a lot of chances. Um, yes. We could talk about Kurtz again. We could talk about the rest of the stuff here again. But, like, this was our chance to finally get this on recording our well, conversations about yeah. this. <laughs> Podcasting Absolutely. dream. So the next scene, short scene, but very Oof. impactful and interesting scene. Yeah, It's interesting that it cuts to, after the sex scene... And it's not like a sex sex scene, you know what I mean? Like we, it's implied, but it's like yeah, that, yeah. Um, that they're just on the boat and they've left. It wasn't like a goodbye. And I don't know if in the script they had something of like leaving it, or they were just like, mm. yeah. I, I'm guessing they did. I'm I'm feeling like from from what we saw in the doc that like this whole sequence was just abandoned. Like we just got as much as he shot and he cobbled together as something as coherent as possible. You know, I I have a feeling this was probably. There was probably more to it, you know, and it was probably going to be cut down a bit more. Uh, so, again, like I said, I think we just, you know, here's everything. Here's everything he's got. Did the best he could with what he had. Yeah, I think I think you're right with that. There's two things I really think of. I mentioned already the Odyssey, right? Right. This reminds me of the Odyssey and also reminds me, weirdly enough, of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah, I see that. I see that. You know, Lewis Carroll or the Disney film, however you want to say it. Wasn't Lewis Carroll like a mathematician uh, and like changed, changed, he has a pe- the pen name, his pen name is Lewis Carroll. And like, it, it wasn't Alice in Wonderland, like his way of trying to explain to children like black holes and like warping oh. reality and, and different dimensions and, and, and the possibility of like parallel worlds and things like that. Like some, someone had, I think I had th- heard that on the, television at some point i think so and just bringing up those two things i'll say it again what confuses me about this sequence and maybe the only thing usually in let's use the alice in wonderland rules right like she'll go off on a side quest if you will the the tea party the caterpillar (laughs) and the author lewis carroll there is almost teaching us something yes but there's also a riddle or what the alice sort of has to solve or escape from to leave it. And you get a lot of that of the Odyssey as well, even if it's just the, the element of escape mm-hmm. here. And we get part one of that. Clearly Coppola, you know, maybe John Melia, someone is trying to show us something here, and I think it's brilliant in that respect. But you don't have the second half, even if it's them running away. We don't get the escape from that side quest to return to the main quest. And I think mm-hmm. that's a little bit awkward. I feel yeah. Like I'd love to see the original script. Maybe in that bootleg yeah. cut, it's there. But again, uh, yeah, maybe it was just abandoned. That seems to be the most obvious theory. You might have mentioned something like this when we were doing rewrites, where it's like I feel like the way it would play out best and most organically is that someone wants to stay here. I don't know. You know, again, I think it would be Chef. Someone wants to stay, and they're, or maybe it's even Willard. And they're dragging him kicking and screaming or something, you know, like, I, I don't know, you know, because this is, it ends in a very seductive, sultry, like, what was, was it Cersei who, who 
bewitched Odysseus? Was that what was going on there? Like I'm uh, thinking of the sirens, right? Like uh, I'm thinking of the one that turned his friend into pigs and all that kind oh, of stuff. Yeah. You know, like you putting the spell on them. So like maybe they're trying to work something like that out that just never got fully fleshed out because. Because, you know, it's like, Francis, what are you doing now? You're going off on some Odyssey crap. I thought we were, you know, I thought you were doing Hearts of Darkness here. Like, what, what's happening? You know, like, get back on track as much as possible. Who knows? Who Side knows? note, when we read Heart of Darkness, I'm curious if this, a version of this scene is in there. Are we now going to read the Odyssey? <laughs> uh, uh, no, just joking. We're going to read every Although, story of mankind, you know? There was a really good miniseries for the Sci-Fi Channel at one point. Oh brother, where art thou? Is that yeah, is yeah. that the Cohen Brothers one? I always yeah yeah. Oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> um, but yes, the next sequence, brief and wondrous, I suppose. Yeah, it's a little weird, and I'm curious your interpretation. Right, they're just sailing down the river, and they're getting pelted with fake arrows. Well, like toy arrows, yeah. Well, this is like, you know, the entrance to Kurtz's domain, and there's like a border of bodies, is what I wrote down. It's like they're they're leaving the French settlement, they're drifting through the smoke, and they just see bodies on the shoreline, and it's like, that's the gates, like, open the gates, like, they're all welcome, welcome now. We don't bury people, we just pile them. And, you know, again, I think it, it is like the... He even says, why aren't they attacking us at one point? And then for for them to have like this faux attack, right? Like phony arrows, like they're he says, like they're they're fucking with us. They're just trying to scare us, like they're mocking us. But then Chief goes nuts and like he's like, Man the guns, and they start shooting his shit. And I feel like if he didn't do that, I they agree. wouldn't have speared him. They he lost his cool. Well, how can't you? I mean, he just but he really loses his cool. He tries to take charge. He needs to know what's going on. And like, I think it really pushed him over the edge. And they probably heard him and they're like, okay, they want a real arrow. How about a big giant one called a spear? And he gets it right through the heart. And it's it's crazy. Like you said, it is crazy. I'm in agreement. I think if they're not shooting, I think this is a test. That was my interpretation. Yes, yes. They shoot the fake arrows to see how people will react. And if it's an innocent person and they see like you know they're going to be nervous about the fake arrows and once they see their fake they're just going to get their ass out of there one way or another but kurtz has probably trained them to say like hey if they fire back go for it right yeah it's so interesting cuz i don't see a situation where they're shooting fake arrows unless it's a broader strategy Right. No, I, it's purely like to met psychological warfare of his, t- you know, because they're expecting arrows and they're and, you know, they start getting pelted with them. And then for them not to hurt, it's like, wait, what's going on here? You know, like what's happening? Another thing I was thinking of, too, is just like this is the price of admission is like you have to pay in flesh and blood. Mm, I like, like that you too. You owe one of your crew to get past here, kind of situation. Because like that'll be kind of currency a little bit as we go. Is going to be like you know what are you willing, what are you willing to give up here? Is like another body, another one of these guys. Are you willing to push it? And like ultimately he is. He's like you know, it's like we're all numbered. It's like our days. It's like our hours are numbered. The other interpretation I thought of, and it's not dissimilar to what you're saying is that the world they're about to enter cannot accept somebody like the chief, someone who's straight-laced, someone who's so grounded in reality 
that's the per that's the price you have to pay is somebody like that, right? I like it. You have uh, Lance, who's whacked out out of his mind. He fits. He right belongs in. there. Exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he fits right in in that world. You have Chef, who harmless, ultimately harmless. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't want to be there, but like isn't going to start some shit. You know, you have Willard, who seems like he could be a spiritual twin to Kurtz in a different like lifetime. You know, and I have some thoughts about possibly like if Kurtz chose him in this fucked up way to be there as a successor or something. Oh, I mean, like that's very possible too, right? But you can't picture someone like the chief Kurtz's compound, so it's almost like he no, had, no. he had to yeah. go here. Yeah. Let's talk quickly about the sequence of his death, right? He gets that spear, yes. and it's a super surprise, and he is 100% blaming Willard at this point. He tries, oh, yes. <laughs> he tries to kill him on his way down. I love yeah. a spear. You know, when he says a spear, it's almost like, are you fucking kidding me? This son of a bitch led us up here, and the spear went through me. I agree, you know, like you don't go to Vietnam expect like I don't think th- these guys expected to be, you know, rocks and spears and and fire and stuff like that. I think it was like grenades and missiles and rocket launchers and bullets and things, you know. So right, and it like it also goes plays into how far back in time we are at the moment and it's like I don't know, it's hard it's hard not to also maybe see some connection between you know, him being a black man being speared in the jungle, kind of like there's something about that in like film history and, you know, not the best kind of like representation in film history, right? So, like, it's weird. It's a weird, it makes me think of that for some reason, you know, I don't know if that's right or wrong, but like it came into my head. Uh, so, like, I don't know if he's trying to say something. Along those lines, too, you know, it's like generally in film in the past, these roles, the the quote unquote person who would chuck the spear, okay, would be kind of uh, shown as just being like an African-American or something like that. And here we don't even see who threw it, okay, but we see who gets hit by it. So I'm just wondering if if Coppola was saying anything there in a movie laced with symbolism. Um, I lo- I love what you're saying, Mike. It's it's hard. To, it's a delicate thing to try and say. To I'm dancing around it like a like Barishnikov, but I don't know if we're qualified to figure it out. But I would love a scholar who's more familiar with this to get into it because you are not wrong. Now maybe John Milius and Francis Ford Coppola are not the people to say this. Maybe it should be someone else's voice. But you're not wrong in a sense where. If you want to interpret the character in that way, like as a black man, he is the most elevated by the book, as we've said, character in this decorated, decorated, right? right, right. Yeah, like he is truly now. Look, Kurtz at one point, of course, was so no one. No, but like, yeah, and no, I mean of the of. Of the boat, of the boat, like, crew, right? Yeah, yeah. Of our, of like our crew, you know, like throughout the whole movie, he's all about like regulations, doing the right thing, keeping it on track, trying to get everybody out of there alive. Unfortunately, yes, his skin color could be interpreted that way because he is killed like a savage. I hate to use that word, but it's true. He is yes. the least savage person there, and he is killed like a savage. And 
there is something there, right? Again, I don't know if you and I are qualified to talk about it. I would love to hear someone talk about it. I'd love if a listener gave us an interpretation of what they think is happening there. But absolutely. And when he says a spear, it's almost his acknowledgement of that. It's him saying, I live my life by like the Navy code, by the book, and I'm going to die this way i knew i I probably was gonna die up here but this way you know and it's like you son of a bitch to willard like this is not how someone like me should go so like the most appropriate response right to like try and kill him too being like this is totally your fault man like look what you fucking just got me killed and like i'm in my dying moments i'm gonna try and take you with me you son of a bitch (laughs) like they they have and like i think this is really well used like visual symbolism is like the two of them are yin and yang you know ideologies color behavior everything they are the two sides of that coin right but they never find balance there is no balance and like that i feel is like the heart the heartbreak of their relationship is that like they should get along. They would back home if they met like at a bar. They'd probably get along really well, well, but they're out here and they have different codes of what it means to operate out here. And they're given different permissions, you know? Like Martin Sheen's basically told, do whatever it takes. Uh, become whatever you need to, you know? And Chief is told, like, here's the book. This is who you are. You're by the book. Uh, so, like, it must have been... You know, if only they met in a different reality. So interesting. Before we get to the Kurtz compound, I have to put this note in here. And this is something, I don't know, it might be in all cuts. I'm not sure. But this is the first time I truly realized that, holy shit, the chef is in charge of the boat now. Like, (laughs) he's next in command and he's freaking out too. When, When Willard essentially has to tell him what the mission is. Oh, I love that moment. And he's like, are you kidding me, man? Like, what the hell? Because it's the premise of the movie, right? Is like, we've been told, like, how fucking serious this is and how dangerous this is. And it's, like, top secret. And it's, like, don't tell them what you're doing. And then we're all, like, yeah, we're behind the mission. We're, like, yeah, he's going to go kill this guy and it's like yeah sure he's an american he's one of our own whatever but it's like he's gone over the edge he's gonna kill him and then when chef finds out he's like this was all to kill one of us like you you know they're sending us to kill ourselves now like we're sending us to kill you know like i feel where he's coming from with that where it's like that's the mission the mission is like you're just out here to kill an american soldier like like me or like you now, granted, Kurtz is like much more than that, but like from his perspective, I could understand him being like, I, you know, I thought you were uh, some kind of like you're going to sneak into some, you know, building where there is like important people and blow it up or something. <laughs> like, not this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Or even like you don't need to question the mission essentially until you're in charge. And once you're in charge, it's like, <laughs> oh my God, this is. Why everyone in this boat has died? Holy shit! And also, Chef, Chef might be the last character to realize that he's never coming back. Yeah, I like. Yeah, because there's no way 
acid head knows what day it is or what's happening. He's already <laughs> gone. That acid eater. Oh, man. So let's get to this final sequence here. And uh-huh. this is a sequence we're going to talk about a lot uh, right. in the history of this podcast. So I'm not too worried right, about right. what we'll cover here. Okay. I do want to discuss how beautiful the set design is here. And um, in uh, the uh, documentary and uh, previous to this and in my studying of this, like this is, I, I think, the first time I sat down and looked around, if that makes sense. And oh my oh, yeah. God, the compound they built, the detail is so intricate. It is truly a hellscape in the jungle here and as we approach it on the boat and the scenes right before it too like uh the nature sort of if if you will that we pass the sunsets Mm -hmm. we are truly if you want to use the dante thing this is the last level of the inferno and it's just amazing yeah it's gorgeous there's even like you know, I know we mentioned Buñuel earlier, but there's even like Dali kind of like yeah. imagery. Surrealist. In this. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, it's it's crazy how like now here, like when we finally arrive at like Planet X or whatever we want to call it, right? Like the center of this black hole or whatever it is that like it does look like warped and distorted and messed up. And like I even was like, you can't even tell like sometimes who's alive, who's dead, who's a soldier, who's a child, who's a woman, who's a man, like everything just kind of like blends together in a weird way as the camera pans and your eye is trying to like track everything. And then there's all like the crucifix stuff and the, and the hanging bodies and all that. And like, even like as they're drifting down uh, or up, I should say into like where they're going to like dock or whatever, it's like they come across that row of them all painted white. Like they almost look like skeletons or ghosts mm-hmm. and stuff, and then they like part ways for the boat to come through and everything like that, you know. So like, the imagery here is like very insane. Like Kurtz is a master of intimidation, <laughs> you know, and like a design technique is flawless. You know, he's an interior decorator or an exterior decorator to the max, and uh, yeah, you know, it's like. The temple feels more like a throne for some kind of like giant demon than it does, you know, a you know, a place of worship. <laughs> Again, what a world that they created quite literally in the Philippine jungle here. One other one quick note I want to mention too, Dennis Hopper is the first character we're truly introduced yeah. to. Interesting note that we learned a little bit from Hearts of Darkness, but also like in my research that the whole time we're told that someone else was sent before uh, Willard, right? This Richard Colby, who right. was un- essentially the first choice to do this mission. And they don't know what happened to him. He sort of disappeared. So Dennis Hopper was originally hired to play Colby. Oh. That's not exactly said in Hearts of Darkness. But once you fill in the research, it makes sense. Dennis Hopper arrives there, and he is sort of whacked out on his mind. Yeah, as uh, his words, his words. <laughs> his words. And I think Coppola made a pivot, like, yeah, he's not going to be able to play this, uh, uh, somebody who was an equivalent to Willard, who was sort of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome by Kurtz. So let's do something different with that character. And and I think on the fly they invented this photographer character because it was more wow. up Dennis Hopper's alley. And he does great at this. It's just like it makes sense that this idealistic 
you know, left wing, we'll say, photographer would go up there, shoot these scenes, yeah. fall in with Kurtz, and sort of be his, like, propaganda man. I don't know if he's aware of it, but, like, the rationalizer right. there. Well, I think he's just scared shitless, you know, and he's treated mm. like a dog. Uh, he is, you know, a stray, like, he he is trapped there, too. Like, he doesn't know. I, I, I feel like he was... A, a hot shot photojournalist, you know, like have you ever seen the new Walter Mitty is like the, uh, the new one with Ben Stiller. Mm-hmm. He's like the Sean Penn character in that where Walter Mitty's like chasing him around the world because he's always out like shooting exotic locations and getting them in Rolling Stone and National Geographic. It was like, yeah, that was Dennis Hopper's character before he came to Vietnam. And he's like, I'm going to go to Vietnam, man. I'm going to shoot the war. And then it's like, oh, shit. Like, I met this guy. I'm in the asshole of the world. Like, I'm never getting out of here. Uh, And then it's like, thank God these guys showed up. But like, he's been there too long and he's seen too much. And like, it would be too much for me to see one severed head, let alone like a fucking pile of them everywhere you look. This guy is like, and we never, we never know for sure if he gets away, but he says he's out of there, but we don't know if he gets to go for sure. You know, how, where would he go? How would he get out of it? He's not on the boat at the end. You know, I don't think he really makes it out of there alive. Uh, and then we see what actually happened to Colby, and it's so funny how they what they actually do with that character, where he's just he's a zombie. He's catatonic, absolutely. He's, yeah, he's gone for good. Like you know, I think another reason he doesn't call in the airstrike at the end is because it's like, what's the point? You know, without Kurtz, like they're aimless, and nothing's going to happen. They're just going to re- resort to like to you know staying there and doing nothing basically. Speaking of the airstrike, as you brought it up, did you? ever hear that so there's a theatrical version there's two theatrical versions there's one that actually ran in the theater and there's one that they call it theatrical version right the one apparently that they ran in the theater and please if you're out there correct me if i'm wrong had a flashback like the original flashback it was no sorry sorry let me be clear the movie had ended but and the credits instead of running over black ran over like uh you know this is the end but with Sort of that dream sequence that Willard has in the um, in the hotel, okay. and of course that dream sequence depicts the bombing early on. Oh, the trees, the, the yeah, napalm, yeah, yeah, the napalm. But people watched it and got confused that that was the airstrike, that okay. the airstrike was actually called in because again you see uh, Chef calling the no. airstrike, yeah. and that pe- a lot of people were walking out of the theater and being like, oh. Willard walks out, but apparently, like, they bombed the whole thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. And Coppola was like, no, 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 that's not my interpretation. So so every cut after that is just kind of cut to black so that people don't get confused. I get where he was going from originally, but I also get where people would get confused, right? Yeah, I would get totally confused, but, like, watching it this time... And I, because I've got thoughts about this ending, and I don't know, we won't get to all of them tonight, because, and that's not bad, because we'll be revisiting this, but, like, at one point... I think Dennis Hopper says the T.S. Eliot quote, right? This is how the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. So I was like, oh, we're not, this movie doesn't end with big explosions. Like we've had all that leading up to this is setting the mood and the stage for the main event. And like this movie does end with a whimper, right? The And that's the end of the world. That's the end of, of his world anyway, of Kurtz's world. But like, and these characters, you know, they're never going to be the same again. They, they're not going back to be, they're not right. You know, they can't think clearly anymore or whatever. But like, 
yeah, the movie can't end with a big explosion. That would be besides the point, you know? The whole idea is that it's almost like an anticlimax, you know? It's like, we're going to meet Kurtz, and we're going to basically be a shadow the whole movie, or in shadow. We barely see him. We barely hear him. My reading this time, he might be dying of malaria. That also may be leading to his insanity. Well, when... He enters the room. He says it smells like malaria. Yeah. You know, so I could only imagine that like he's sick to some degree. I still think that he's uh, interviewing this guy to be his replacement, hopefully. But when he gets there, he realizes, oh, shit, like, no, he's too indoctrinated. He's going to kill me. Let's like, see how long I can uh, hold out or whatever. Two notes on the ending that you made me think of, but... Before that, with the malaria thing, this is also the first time I noticed that. And and that's not talked about with this film. I've never heard someone talk about that. But you're, right? you're so right, Mike. I think he is dying regardless. Because you see Dennis Hopper mention as well, sometimes he goes through periods where he just disappears. And he's probably fighting it, you know what I mean? Like, he'll, he'll yeah. go away, he'll fight it. Then when he has the strength, he'll do his thing. Then he'll go away you know, fight it again. So that totally makes sense. Mm. Yeah, he wasn't there when he shows up. He's like, man's not home. He's out with his people in the jungle, you know? And that to me means like, after I find out, you know, what what we're talking about, I start thinking about when he shows up. It's like, oh, he was like, maybe he was at the doctor even. You know, whatever the version of the doctor is. Two thoughts on the ending that I had this time and frankly always. First, I think you're so right about like the anti-climax to me, the first time I watched this, and every subsequent watch, I could honestly tell you, I know a lot of people talk about this Kurt stuff. This might, and I don't mean this in any mean way. I love this movie. This is in my top ten favorite movies. This is the least favorite part of the film to me. It was always about the journey for me, right? Like, it was yeah. not about the big ending. Not that I hate this part. I remember being a little disappointed the first time. Like, wait, what? And then letting it quite literally linger on me. And being like, you know what? That was awesome. Did I want the Mickey Mouse ending? No. Um, remember, Milius' script, and that's my other point, Milius' script had the big uh, ending. There was a big firefight. Like, he apparently he called in reinforcements, yeah. and it, it was no. a, a victory. And that, like, that did not feel earned in what we got, right? Like, I almost picture an ending where... Willard somehow dies there. Like, maybe, yes, he kills Kurtz, but maybe he dies there, too. It's sort of weird. It's always been weird to me that he escapes, right? Like, does he? Does Willard escape? In your opinion. Oh, yeah. I feel like they get away. Like, what what we see happen, happens. That's how I feel. Now, I'll address what you're saying as far as, like, is this my least favorite stuff in the movie? I think so, too. But I think it... To be honest, it's by design and by fault. And like, here's what I'll try and say by that: like, they hired Brando. Brando <laughs> would not. Brando would not play ball. This is what he would do. This is what he would do. This is what we have. Okay, and I think he, that Coppola did something smart and crafted his performance as like almost like this weird sort of like hidden performance. It's like, we never get really a good grip on Kurtz ever, you know? And I think it's like, well, that would be a good way to go. It's almost like 
you're never, you know, like you say, you're never going to be fully satisfied with the reveal. It's like meeting the architect at the end of the second matrix. Like, sure, what he's saying is very interesting and cool, but like, I didn't want a lesson about like, you know, the, the, the systemic anomaly of the matrix and the remainder and all this bullshit. And it's like, I don't want that from Kurtz either, really. But like, that's where the movie needs to go, right? Like, what I'm trying to say is like, I appreciate the movie going where the story should go as opposed to forcing the movie to do something it's not supposed to. And this is just how it's supposed to play out. He gets to Kurtz. Kurtz is weak now. He's not the, he's not exactly the threat he thought he was. Like he does have the followers and it's scary as hell, but even chef is like, I'm not scared of this guy. It's all just like intimidation. He's like, I'm not scared of him, really. Like, I'm here to fight. Like, I'm I'm brave now, you know? <laughs> like, I'm getting off the boat again. And and I think Willer realizes that too. And he doesn't fall for this shit, you know? And the and I really appreciate how most of this is played out in like this montage, like a dream almost. And specifically the end, where we get a Kurtz montage and then the death montage and that amazing shot, one of the greatest shots in film history of martin sheen coming up out of the water and all of that and and just all yeah and all of the oh man when kurtz wears the face paint first Mm -hmm. and then he wears it after as if to say like i'm wearing your face very predator by the way very predator but like i think it becomes more of like this tone poem at the end that coppola hoped he could do for the full three hours where it's like forget about dialogue just pay attention to like you know the tone of the voice not what he's saying pay attention to like the visuals you know try and interpret it to your your best ability like we're we're really off the you know we're out of bounds at this point so like i appreciate the movie telling the story the way the movie wants to not the way we want it to i love that and i think you're i think you're so right with that like this is somewhere between a happy accident and what should have happened. Um, I think you go to film school, you know, any kind of film or writing exercise, and they tell you, oh, everything is so dependent on the ending. You have to have a great ending. And I think most people try to do that. But a great big ending is not earned here. What's earned is the disappointment of Kurtz. It really is. That he is not this god we think he might be. Um, yes, he has accomplished a lot there, but he's, like you said, he's dying. He's weak. And maybe that did come from some of Brando's performance. Because remember, that is not the original ending. So, right. happy accident? Maybe. Probably. We know Coppola wasn't, he was scared about this. He wasn't satisfied with where it would go. But you watch it now, there is no better way, in my opinion, to end this film than with the disappointment of Kurtz. At times he makes sense. At times he's babbling like a madman. But guess what? When you watch the documentary Hearts of Darkness, Marlon Brando at times is babbling like a madman. He didn't know the (laughs) script. He didn't read Heart of Darkness. So for whatever reason, maybe they got lucky, but it worked. Maybe because the journey was so great, it almost doesn't matter. A lot of people have interpreted this sort of like as a dream. I don't. I'm with you. I do. <clears throat> to be clear, I do think that Willard escapes. But there again, there is a version of my head. Willard definitely kills him in my mind. Oh, he's yeah. He definitely chops him a bunch of times. 
like the calf, like the ceremony and him killing Kurtz and the cross cutting between them, like that is, you know, unmistakably, you know, him killing him. So let's talk about that happy accident, right? We learned in Hearts of Darkness right. that, that that sacrificing, or not really, just like the way that they were killing that cow, um, that was not something that was in the film. I think it was Eleanor who said, hey, come look at this, uh, Francis's wife. And Francis looks at it, he's like, oh, holy shit, we could use that. But then you watch it this time, maybe maybe I'm, we, since we watched it, I'm like looking at a different lens, but it is such a obvious metaphor of Kurtz, right? Like, Kurtz was this American right. soldier, he was G.I. Joe, he did everything by the book, even, even more than that, killed for America, did everything he could. Once, through his own power... He got too big for his britches in their mind. Once he stopped behaving how they wanted it, he became useless, just like that cow and just meat. And they just juxtaposed that so well that Willard, and it's mentioned in the film, Willard's just an errand boy. This whole thing is just for him to carry out a, a, a mission to destroy something that America created because it outgrew its own value to the united states so another happy accident here with the cow because to me like it's not that heavy-handed it's beautiful the way it's shot again i don't don't like to watch cows die like that but you know what i mean no 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 but does yeah the symbolism the symbolism is there willard is a tool willard is a gun that's obvious at this point willard is a killer (laughs) he's a killer but it's like to me it doesn't as violent as it is it doesn't feel like he's murdering him. It doesn't feel like it's in cold blood. It's like no. he he's yeah. he's executing his mission. He's a tool. And at the end of the day, Willard was even afraid that he would show up and be brainwashed. Essentially, it's like, this guy's full of shit. Let me just fin- finish him off and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he takes his notes. He's like looking through his notes that if we hear the notes, you know, and it's basically stuff to the... I, I can't remember exactly. Oh, uh, they want us to, like, drop bombs on children, but they won't let us write fuck on the bomb or on the plane or anything like that. He's got a point, but, like, it kind of comes across of, like, why do they sell 12 hot dogs and, and like, 11 buns? Like, why? what's going on with our system? <laughs> like, why can't we, like, yeah. get this straight? You know? And, like, there's this terrific moment where Willard looks at the, like... The different things and and kind of gives it a look of like ugh, and like just takes it with him you know i thought that was kind of funny that he saves like the gibberish but like i again i just i guess i'll reiterate like i think i really enjoy the ending here because of the whimper because it's the way the story is supposed to end all that stuff i think martin sheen looks fucking insanely badass at the end of this where he's coming out of the temple with the machete and the shirt off and everything and they all like bow down to him like he's the new god and he says no you know he's like no um i actually wanted to mention at the end here that i've got a little i got a little bit of hope for the character of willard because as they're driving away you hear the radio going off like should we call in the airstrike should we call in the airstrike when he turns off the radio he has like the most genuine look of sadness in his eyes like martin sheen as almost as if to say like 
I never thought I would get through this. I'm kind of sad this is over and I survived this. <laughs> like it was like I don't know how I why I picked up on it like that, but like he he had this look as he was turning the radio off of like I can't believe this is over. Like I almost can't believe it. Do you think it's a callback to Kilgore and that line where he's like someday this war is going to end and sort of just like feeling nostalgic about like oh I won't be here. Yeah. Kind of, because he says, like, at one point, we're never, and I think it was voiceover, where he's like, we don't belong back there. We're never going back. At least, like, and he's like, at least I'm not going back, yeah, like, like, you know. To be in a factory in Toledo, like, he has he has a purpose there. Isn't it almost like, it almost was like, man, I can't believe the mission's over. Like, I'm so sad that, like, the mission's over. And I survived. Like, now what? Another mission? Like... I guess. But also, he's accomplished his mission. He's found his purpose. Like, he knows that's what he's there for. Back home, he almost indicates that he doesn't really have a purpose. I don't know Mm. why I'm just, like, connecting this. Or is he from Akron or Toledo? I forgot where he's from. Um, Willard asks him, and and he's like, oh, I'm not near near the river. Willard has this... Oh, right, Toledo, yeah. So it is Toledo, so... Unfortunately, I wish he was from Akron because Akron is the the rubber capital of the U.S. Oh, but but I do believe Toledo also vulcanizes rubber, and it's very close to Detroit. You know that kind of car thing. I don't know if they had like concept of that, but it is interesting. Like the rubber that they're taking out of places like Vietnam is being shipped to America, specifically Ohio, (laughs) Ohio, to be vulcanized in a factory in Ohio. Regardless, we don't have to go there today. But Mike, I think I I love your interpretation there because he ends up almost as a surprise being the most complete character in this movie. And I, it's weird to say like the main character being a complete character or completing his journey is a surprise. It's a surprise in this world where everything's effed up. Yeah, but it also like it was it was like an impossible task. Like I remember the first time watching this movie, I didn't know if he was going to do it. I, you know, there's no reason to believe that he's going to succeed this mission, especially once he gets there and you see where he's gone and, like, everybody wants to kill him, you know, and he's kept in this fucking cage and he's bound and gagged and he's tortured and all this kind of stuff, too. He didn't even mention it's like they're toying with him, you know? I like movies where the character accomplishes their goal, right? Like, the the object of this movie is go kill this guy, and he went and killed that guy, you know? And, like, throughout the course of getting there, he faced who he was in, like, a very existential kind of way, and he observed the environment around him, which is Looney Tunes, 24-7, like, the most dangerous place in the world where crazy shit is happening around him at all time playboy bunnies right people getting speared like puppy dogs people surfing people blowing up towns like it is just madness out there right and so but by the time he has to actually do his mission he's a completely different person probably than when he started it or at least like he's changed significantly he's made friends on the boat he's lost friends on the boat you know, his ideals have changed. Like, he even calls his mission bullshit half the time. He calls Kurtz a genius. Then he calls him a, a insane. Like, he can't make up his mind about this. And then when he finally gets there, he makes the choice to, like, go through with it and do it because he's a good fucking soldier. Like, it's just wild. Like, I love this, this movie because of that. Because, like, 
the story unfolds without being forced in a lot of ways. You know, my favorite movies feel like that. Like, it just feels like this is just how it would unfold. Like Tarantino talking about how like, oh yeah, if this character of mine existed in reality, this is how history would happen. Hitler would have died earlier and Manson family would have broken into the wrong house. And like, you know, so it just feels like if Willard was a real person and in Vietnam, this probably might have been the course of history like that's how the movie feels i'll just disagree with you a little bit i don't know if he really changes that much i think it more confirms who he thought he might be which is just like that assassin people deny during the movie that he is capable of that you know status yeah i guess i think he's, he's sort of searching for purpose and finds it and kind of accepts that that's i agree with that i think because like he might think that he might have uh, more humanity left than he does and like you see him at times by stealing the surfboard or you know making conversation with the french people this and that but like oh really no like i don't think any of that's left by the end so three things i want to hit on um in in the final sequence with kurtz cool first we already brought it up willard's imprisonment is very much extended in the Redux cut. The whole yeah. the whole thing with the kids and reading the Time magazine, as I as we said, just in Redux, like that is something that I don't think is there. But I I do like that scene. I think in Redux, what's more clear is your theory that you have is that Kurt sees him, and maybe he knew this early on in the journey. Maybe he knows this from seeing him that like Willard could be his successor, that he is going to show mercy to him. Willard even mentions at one point, hey, if I've gotten this far and Kurtz didn't kill me, there must, I forgot the exact line he uses, like, there must be a reason. He could have killed me a hundred times and that hasn't happened. And so you saying that, like, Kurtz sees him as the next, you know, level here, like the next person who can take over the mission, that kind of makes sense with what's going on. But a lot more clear in Redux, I think, than other cuts. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, this version has Every idea is how I feel. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a good like, call. It's like, you want to think this way about it? Sure. You want to think that way about it? Sure. I truly think that the theatrical cut, to my understanding, to my recall, it's like, wants you to kind of, you know, zone in a little more narrowly on, on the movie than this than this version does. You know, this version is sort of the, like, all or nothing version. Like, sure, you can interpret this any way you want, but I truly think the way the other version, the theatrical version's cut and paste and all that, like, there is more of a rail to follow than this one, if you catch my meaning, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Um, And I, I thought it wouldn't be fair to the nieces and nephews out there if we didn't just talk about the fates of the other mm-hmm. two members of the boat here. Oh, right. Chef. I love what you said too. Chef the whole time is a coward. Chef the whole time is depicted as like not feeling like he was ready for what he was about to encounter. When he gets here, he's one of the characters along with Willard, I'd say maybe more than Willard who realized it's all bullshit. Like what the hell's going on here? Like this is like, he's even telling Willard like, like what? Like you know, like he. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because doesn't he say like, or he or Willard tells him? Because I thought he was like calling the airstrike now or something like that. Like, can't we just bomb this fucking place? Or something? Yeah, and Willard <laughs> says, "Hey, go back to the boat. If in eight hours, twelve hours, or what he says, like, if I'm not That's back, it, yeah, 
just yeah, bomb yeah. the entire thing. Like, I get it. So yep. he waits there, and there's this, like, brief scene of Chef, and he's like, damn, I've been here for a while. And, like, you tell he's, like, nerve-wracking, waiting to call in the airstrike. And then when he does, we kind of think he does, right? And then, oh, God, Kurtz and, and uh, Willard have this great interaction, and you think maybe, like, Willard has the upper hand, but then, like, Kurtz is, like, sort of, like, not these words, but he's like, oh, wait, boom. Here's Chef's head. You think you're going to be rescued? <laughs> like, fuck. But then they're also, st- I was thinking about this on this watch, they're also stupid for assuming that, like, he's not listening to all radio that's there. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 more like the game for Kurtz, I think, and I don't know that they might think that either, though, because there's a lot going I don't know. That's a good point, though. Yeah, I wonder. Just a misstep, if you will. I would have been like, Chef, get on the boat. Go as far downriver as possible. Yeah. And in eight hours, bomb it regardless. Because if I've <laughs> if I've succeeded, I'm I'm not in that area. You know, I don't know why I'm thinking of the mission this way, but of like, look, I'm gonna kill him and I'm gonna run, bomb the area, then come back for me. <laughs> like, again, that's too elaborate. But um, of course, that's Chef's demise, which is sad because like he finally reaches a zenith of like showing a little bit of courage, and he dies. And then Lance. We haven't talked a lot about Lance here, but he's so whacked out of his mind that he's primed, primed to join the cult here, the cult of Kurtz. He does. I mean, he does. He basically, they basically like see him and they're like, oh, like you're one of us. Like, come on. And he's like, okay, like, sure. Like, take me by the hand and lead me into the community. And like, he gets absorbed by the collective for sure. And it's like, yeah. And I think it's just because like, is he the only one like not kneeling for Willard at the end? Because he's probably like, why y'all kneeling for him? (laughs) Don't you guys know him? That's my guy. Like, and, and like he's able to like see him and take him with him. Um, otherwise I don't think he would have like looked for him, you know, I think it's just more that he saw him and he's like, come on, buddy, like, uh, taking you with me. And Mike, I don't know if it's this cut, but the kneeling for Willard this time was so much more impactful for me. And maybe it's just you explaining that theory right now. Right. But like, if he's truly the successor, it is a brave and interesting choice for Willard not to be like, oh my God, all these people worship me now. I don't even like the U.S. government like that. Like, should I stay here and do this? But Willard's like, no, I'm good. Dude, so to me, you know what that shows is that he's just like them, but his Kurtz is the American government. Ooh, you, I like You that. know, like, he has been brainwashed harder to be like, I go back, you know? Like, or at least, like, that's the motor function is like i try to go i get back on the boat and i go because mission over because they say so and like this this is nothing you know kurtz kurtz is dead now like i don't need like this doesn't mean anything i go back i get a medal or like i get a pat on the back and i'm get, get called a good boy <laughs> that's how i was thinking like you know he's one of them but like on the other side you know you come out of there looking like he-man basically like you just Slade Skeletor and like all of Eternia is kneeling in front of you. And like, you're like, I'm good. <laughs> How does Willard make it back alone on that boat? Well, does he even? I mean, like, does he not get like an arrow else as well? Or like, a, does an animal eat him? Or who knows? You know, I, I like to think that he does just because it makes sense to me. You know, 
if you make it there, you make it back is kind of how I felt. I feel like, yeah, you have to, this is so random, but like you have to drive the oh. boat to a safe spot that like a helicopter can land because if he communicates via the radio, hopefully like Kurtz's men didn't cut the radio, but, it, but like if you communicate via the radio and whatever code, Hey, I killed Kurtz. They're going to send the biggest mission to come and get you. Like you have rewarded yourself there. Right. So I don't know. Yeah. Quickly on the Odyssey, right? The Odyssey is the sequel to the Iliad, right? Like, Odysseus and his men have helped win the Trojan War. And right. it's like, holy shit, we have to get back now. And it's like, it took the longer than a the decade. war, right? Like, a decade it takes him to get back. Yeah. So, yeah. imagine... That's the real journey. The real journey is the journey home for them. Yeah, right? imagine, like, Apocalypse Now 2 is is Willard getting back home. Where I've been all night with with, the, with Dante and the Divine Comedy and all that is like, yo, uh, yeah, he goes down to hell. Uh, and then you know where he goes after that? He goes to purgatory. And then he goes to paradise. You know, like it doesn't end after hell. Good like call. there's two more parts, you know, it's a trilogy. So this, yeah, this isn't the end as the doors might be saying. Like, you know, who knows where he's off to, to next? Yeah. I like that idea, but like, it's not, it's not home yet, you know? And like paradise for him is like the sweet release of death. <laughs> that's, that's when that's going to happen. So one more thing I want to discuss, and I hate to end the episode by opening like a heavy segment like this, but um, this is what I was alluding to before. You and I spoke to the artist formerly known as Bob, one half of the host of Lottery Pod. Um, he had mentioned that the source material here Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness was a largely racist piece of work. Yeah. Which is true. Yep. Now, after hearing that, I tried to watch Apocalypse Now with those eyes. And it is clear to me that the natives, if you will, the Vietnamese, particularly the Vietnamese upriver here, aren't ever main characters here, are very much used as background characters. I think it, again, again is, is derivative of Heart of Darkness. It does show that they're easily, or one can interpret it as they're easily manipulated. Um, I don't want to say, maybe I sound like an apologist, I don't want to say that that is a Francis thing. I think that is, again, because it comes from Heart of Darkness. Um, it doesn't come off great to the Vietnamese here. But yeah. but I uh, to be fair, I also think he shows that in a critical way. I don't think Francis is showing it in a way that he believes what's going on here. Remember, this isn't an accurate interpretation of the Vietnam War. I think it's purposeful in a way. I I think if you had a I was gonna say a beer with Francis, God, who am I? If you had a glass, a glass of wine, yes, exactly. If you had a glass, a couple glasses of wine with Francis, and you asked him about it, I think he was like, oh yeah, definitely, you know. We're showing the hypocrisy of imperialism and the hypocrisy of colonialism and the hypocrisy of the American military. So I don't think this is a racist movie, but what is your interpretation of that aspect of it? Yeah, I don't think the movie has any kind of like malicious intent in that regard. You know, I think it's all a learning experience, right? Like this is a film to teach like those kinds of like 
clearly the bad guy here is the white guy, right? <laughs> like, clearly they're the ones fucking everything up for the worst. And, like, the Heart, Heart of Darkness, the book, if it's inherently racist, then, like, that is going to be in your story one way or the other as much as you like it or not. Like, you're just not going to be able to tell the story you want without certain elements, you know? And i.e., white guy going upriver using natural resources to complete his mission which is to take out another white guy who is like basically taking control of like a settlement a civilization and like starting to run it any way he wants like a, like thinks he's a god or whatever so so like you know there's that, that's a problematic story to begin with so like i believe coppola definitely knows this okay <laughs> john milius knows this like these are not stupid guys trying to make like a buck off of sensational like this isn't an exploitation movie right this isn't exploitation in that in that way they're trying to make a point and it's a tough point and it's an ugly one and it's a hard one and i think they do the best they can to say yes uh, this isn't great. Like, you know, and I think they used Vietnam to do that. Okay. Like, right. Like, I think there's enough parallel there to be like, look where we are in the first place. Look where we set this movie. Like, of course, this is bad news. Okay. So like, don't think the mission is going to be politically correct either. You know, <laughs> like, I think that's part of the point is what I'm trying. I think he tried to bake into the movie to be like, oh, if you notice that good, because that's part of the point. It's like to draw that to your attention, that that's not good. And honestly, the French scene helps me with that interpretation, right? Like, as we saw it a little bit earlier, I do not feel watching this that Kurtz brainwashed those people because they were stupid or primitive or any of those things. That does not come across that way to me. No, because, like, a lot of them are American soldiers. That would be to say, like, oh, he brainwashed the locals because they're weak-minded. But he brainwashed these assassins sent after him. You know, like, so, like, it's not like he, he can crack a strong mind, too. So that who's to say that the locals weren't just as hard to, con you know, I don't know. That's what I'm getting at. I think there's more locals than... Americans, because they're in Vietnam, I think Kurtz would have the power to do this in Kansas if, you know, the authorities right. weren't yeah. around, right? That's what I'm saying. If you're Jim Jones, you're Jim Jones, you know? Jim Jones, or, <laughs> yeah, Jim Jones would be the extreme, or even a politician. If, if that's what Kurtz wanted, right. he could go home. Trump. You, you said it, but you, he could go home and, quote-unquote, inspire people to believe his ideology. I think he has that kind of personality. I think he has that kind of conviction. We'll use the word again, that it's not because the people here, I know we sound like apologists, but I, I believe it. It's not because the people here happen to be locals, right? I think he could do this with any populace anywhere in the world if that's truly what he wanted to do. And I think you're right, Coppola does that because we see a lot of his former soldiers there. I wonder if this is sort of a more modern reading of it because of, like, the state of our politics in this country now and how fucking, like, the far right is getting the foothold. Like, all this kind of stuff, right, is, like, obviously, like, it, it, it's always been there, but it's just so much in the forefront of our lives now, the way people the way people talk and spread 
you know, information or disinformation and stuff like that. So like, it, it's interesting to watch Apocalypse Now, this movie made so long ago and, and be like, oh my God, it's like, it, it's just as prescient as ever, basically. Because there were seeds of that back then with like Nixon and such, but now it like moves faster and harder because of the information age we're in. I mean, go on yeah. Twitter. There's pockets of Kurtz's compound everywhere, right? So, like, oh my God, unfortunately, that is the case. So, I don't, I don't want to end on such a dark note. But no, that's okay. It's not, it's not the end. It's only the end of this episode, Brian. We're, we're going to be back here again. Oh, you're right. Even though we end with the end by the doors. So, <laughs> anything else you wanted to mention regarding Apocalypse Now Redux? Um, yes. The music, okay. At one point, the the fucking music. I wrote down a note. Um, it's like a cross between like John Carpenter, that rhythmic bass line, the like dun 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 dun, right? And then it's like a cross between that and like these loud clanging chimes. It sounds like in in the movie Akira when Tetsuo, when you're like seeing his flashbacks and like you hear like the high pitched like uh singing and the chimes and i'm like this is insane this music is driving me crazy so like the audio landscape we didn't really touch too much bond in this episode but like it helps so much to just like purposefully kind of like keep you on edge or irritate you or, or give you that like weird vibe I don't know, I've never read anything about the soundscape here, but they clearly use a lot of that long intro to the end by The Doors, mm-hmm. and it works so well. I know Jim Morrison obviously did not write it for the film, but it almost feels like he did. Like, that well, that's how accurate it is. I mean, it's, from my understanding, that song is about Vietnam. Uh, I'm not positive, but... What's even weirder is that Jim Morrison, from what I also understand, it went to USC mm. and was in a class with um, Oliver Stone. And that's why Oliver Stone made the Doors movie. And there's a scene in that when they're at USC and like a lot, uh, Oliver Stone is playing the professor and um, like a lot of famous directors are students in that scene. I didn't know it's that. Like I- Robert Meck. Robert Zemeckis is in that scene as a student saying like Jim Morrison like sucks at being a director. (laughs) So like there's a weird kind of um, circle of directors, musicians, USC students, even though Coppola is not from, he went to UCLA. Right. But like that community of creatives, you know, it's just kind of cool. It was like, Oh, my buddy, Jim Morrison has a song. Like, let's put it in our movie. Wow. Yeah. I forgot that he was also in that culture that was like permeating there. And he has his background as like a filmmaker, if you will. So yeah, Yeah. that totally makes sense. Good call on that. I, I love that. So final thoughts, because this is our, uh, first true director's cut. Mm-hmm. On this watch and deep dive of Apocalypse Now Redux, how do you summarize this version? If someone came to you and was like, hey, I've never seen any of these movies, tell me about Apocalypse Now Redux. Like, what would you say? Um, Boy, what would I say? Oh, man, if I had to be honest, I would be like, it is the extended cut of one of, like, the best American movies made, but it is an extended cut. You know, I wouldn't have understood 
redux okay so like i'd have to explain it like as if i was a layman right that i want someone to explain it to me and i'd be like it's basically like a director's cut like there's you know years later he found a bunch of extra footage and had the ability to reinsert it into his movie so now he's giving you what he considered a complete version of his vision i don't know how else to really explain it but like trying to tell somebody what it is sounds so like pretentious mm -hmm. or like confusing you know i would say watch the original first like um I do truly feel like if you watch the original movie first and you have a grasp of it, this is better. Not better than the original, but better than if you just watch this first. I know that's not how you experienced it. Like, it's okay not to experience it, uh, the theatrical cut first, but I wasn't expecting to sell a pen at the end of the episode to you, Brian, but like... <laughs> It's kind of hard to explain, right? I'm in agreement with you, though. I know I did Redux first, but I don't know if I would suggest someone does that as well. I'll say this. This, to me, and I think I've said this already on one of the episodes, this, to me, is like the nerd version of the film. If you want just the quick Apocalypse Now interpretation, watch Final Cut. Watch the theatrical cut. But if you want more, this is the cut that gives it to you. If you truly, yeah. like, want to choose your own adventure, if you will, like, if you want that Alice in Wonderland feeling of cutting here to the Playboy Bunnies, cutting there to... How many movies have we talked about together on High Slumber Party, on Third Times of Charm, uh, on even this podcast where we're like, oh, I'm curious what was going on there, or I'd like to see more of this. This is the <laughs> version that gives it to you. Whether you like it or not, this is the version that spends a half an hour in this French colonial area, right? Like, and, and that's the perfect metaphor or wherever, whatever it's called for what this version is. The most you can get that would be a coherent <laughs> story. It's still a coherent story. It. It's still good. I love it. I love Redux. Redux might be my favorite cut. I want to watch all of them again to really determine that. But opening... Like, for just my mom, for example, watching Apocalypse Now, I'm not telling her to watch Redux. I'm telling her to watch another version. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying, like, I would say if you like, if you like, if you even just like it, if you don't think it's the best movie ever, but if you, if you like it, if you got through it and you're like, I've liked that movie, you know, that's a good one. Watch this. Watch more. That I think it makes both versions better in a weird way, you know. I don't know. I I just I love that you that you have the choice, the variety. I, I yeah. I I endorse its existence. I'll tell you that much. I love it. It's twenty twenty three. Some of the fears that are getting thrown at us is that AI will create personal movies for all of us that will never have the oh, shared God. experience again. That it'll know what we want and just we'll have that movie and we're the only ones who will watch <sighs> that movie. Let's, again, you and I, obviously, we're film podcasters. We don't want that to happen. That would ruin everything we love about film. Yeah. That's not my fear of AI movies, which I'll tell you after. <laughs> but I will say this, right? Like, this is, to me, the reason why I don't want that. Because film is fallible. Yeah. Art is about the artist's interpretation. And let's be honest, they don't always know. 
what their interpretation is. I think we got that in our full study here of Apocalypse Now Redux slash Hearts of Darkness. And that's something I'm always going to love about film in general, but this film specifically. We get different versions to compare. Francis doesn't seem comfortable with any version, really. I guess Final (laughs) Cut now, but like... And that's what's so cool, right? Like, Because in the real world, you can make a left, you can make a right, you could go straight. Tomorrow, I'm going to get on the subway and I'm going to go to work. But there is a version of the story where I get off in a different station and just take a walk and meet someone or do something. And the, that's, the, <laughs> that's the 3D element of this world. And like when we, yeah. when we get different cuts of films and why we're doing this show, it's just cool to see where it could have gone and hypothesize where it should have gone or shouldn't have gone. And that's why I love doing this show. So sorry for the big poem at the no, end. No, no. Yeah, it's like it's like the sliding doors, uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow show uh, movie where you just missed the bus or like if I stepped off that subway a minute later uh, scenario. But yeah, you know, I this what I'll end it all saying is, can you imagine? And this is so indicative of this. This perfectly illustrates what it's like, like as someone who's tried to create. And has created a couple of things and is always like the, the person who hates their stuff the most, right? Can you fucking imagine like releasing Apocalypse Now and going like, I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> like, I could fix that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Oh, man. Again, why I love talking about the films of Francis Ford Coppola and this show. Next episode we'll do, we're going to talk about new artwork this is year two now. We're moving into year two of Ooh, Uncle Francis. Part two. Part two, yeah, of Uncle Francis's wine cellar. So can't wait to start our year two right with the next episode. Uh, Mike, this was a pleasure. Anything else you want to yes. say or plug? Or do you just want to you know, uh, say what you got to oh, say? Real, well, real quick, since you've reminded me, it's you know coming upon the end of another year here. Uh, we did some crazy episodes like we were all over the map and i I love that about this show is that like you don't know what we're gonna be talking about next week you don't know you can't know what we're gonna be talking about i don't know what we're gonna be talking about and that's so much fun but uh you know as usual you could hear me we we do the plugs at the start but you could hear us on cageclub.me uh any other all the other shows we're on and uh yeah i had a great time i'm looking forward to the next episode the one thing you didn't plug that i think you should is monsters that made us which is currently on break but just congratulations on the legendary run that you guys just had (laughs) thank you thank you very much yeah uh we might be off the air until october i want to say we're back by Halloween. halloween so that's the goal for me back by halloween that's our season uh but we're gonna be doing stuff over the summer we're definitely doing stuff uh we might even be giving away stuff so watch closely and keep your eyes peeled and all that good thing all right mike why don't you uh close the episode okay so i guess we're still doing this (laughs) um (laughs) leave the guns take the cannoli no napalm no the horror the horror whoa whoa, whoa. we didn't even mention that Uh, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. But the horror, the horror. That ending is actually from Conrad. So that's, you know, the last line of Kurtz. We see that kind of get replayed, like, in the ending. I love it. So why don't you also give us the horror, the horror, Mike? Okay, okay. The horror, the horror. This is the end. 
Say 